Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of February 2021. And as always, I hope you're all hanging in there and not hanging from trees because uh, certainly people are getting awfully depressed by this lockdown. Nothing that wasn't predicted in the plans of it all many, many years ago when you talked about their pandemic exercises and all the present uh, co-conspirators, you might say, <laughs> who are involved in it, uh, were involved in all the planning stages of previous tests of it as well, including how to keep the people locked down and and what to expect with lockdowns and pushback, etc., and how they'd have to go after individuals who would be putting out information against lockdowns or even vaccinations, and how to, not to challenge their big groups right on, dead on, you see. It's much easier to knock them off one at a time, basically, by different means of deplatforming or, or, or whatever it happens to be, just to stop them from putting out information. This was all written out in their plans for pandemics, and you find it in the, the section put by the Rockefeller Foundation in 2010, the section called Lockstep, to do with innovations for the future and so on. You find Lockstep in it, and Lockstep goes through the, the, the lockdowns, you know, in a pandemic. All, all the stuff that we've heard since with, with even Event 201 and CLADX, etc., uh, all the same things, over, the same people over and over again, same group, same same pyramid of groups, really, the capstone at the top, you might say, because they all get their orders from something above themselves, obviously, when they're all on board with the same agenda worldwide at the same time, in every country, pretty well. But they, they said in, in the lockstep that they would keep pushing for more and more, to take more and more rights from the public, because this, this is to achieve a much bigger goal to do than anything to do with any pandemic is to bring in uh, the, the the great global reset as Mr. Schwab has prattled on about in his books and so on about bringing a new society and you've got to have a wartime scenario he calls it a wartime scenario himself he said that in some little video clips that's how he sees it, and that's how it's planned to be. And it is, because out of a wartime scenario, you have a different society at the end of the war. In fact, if you have competing or conflicting parties fighting each other in wartime, both, both countries, or, or more countries, all the conflicting parties uh, are changed forever, basically. So it's planned change to come out of this whole idea of a, using a pandemic to bring it about, not just a financial reset, but a complete reworking of money, or even what you think of money. It's energy, it's technocracy, where energy units are represented by tokens, or money if you want to call it that. It's all the same thing really, isn't it? And you're, you'll have a different way of living, it'll be a vastly reduced population eventually. Including what they've said for since the last hundred years that they should really issue licenses for those who should be allowed to have children. They even had articles years ago when I did the talks on radio about uh, giving special privileges to those who served the system better. You know, top civil servants and so on who really worked for this global society, for this world type governance system and how they could literally give it as a reward, where they could let you pass your genes on to another generation. I'm not kidding you, this, this is from the top, eh? And if you think you're in a madhouse, well, you're, you are really in a madhouse, but a very clever madhouse, because the mad ones at the top 
the godlike ones just really believe in what they're doing and they truly believe as well that they have the right to do with the planet and everybody in it uh, as they see fit. They really truly believe, they even teach it in certain university courses now to do with uh, forms of behaviorism and eugenics all combined into bioethics. You know? So it's quite uh, interesting to see that you're in the science fiction movie at last, you see, you're actually in it and you're watching the players come out openly and tell you how it's going to be. Not how, asking you how you like it. No, they're telling you how it's going to be, whether you like it or not. And there are many, many different techniques to, to do it. Persuade, the, the professional persuaders, again, come out from different um, universities. Even taught behaviorism and psychology and public relations and uh, and who even are taught for all the techniques of marketing ideas to you. And you have no idea. I, I, years ago, I talked about the language has always been used by those who understand the techniques of controlling your thoughts. And your thoughts that really that take through your brain all day are given to you by whatever media is present at the time. At one time, it was they often used through the churches at one time, unfortunately. But town criers were used to impart information or decrees from the king. And people would prattle on about these decrees and, and try to discuss them and find out what they really meant and dissect them and find out what their opinion should be on it. And that's how it was much, much easier in those days to just give out. Because you didn't give, have TVs or radios, you see, or internet or anything like that. And so once the radio came along, they, they, these sciences really took off uh, using radio as a means of persuasion through propaganda. People don't realize how, how far ahead it was even in the 1920s and 30s, building up to World War II as an example, and how, it, how, how incredibly uh, accurate it is today uh, to do with the uniformity of information. If you must control societies and worlds, you might say, or nations, then you must control all information, you see? But never give the impression that you control it. You simply make sure that a thousand different points of light, as they often refer to their agendas and their NGOs and think tanks and so on, that work towards the same goals and put out the same information, but it appears to the public, oh my goodness, it can't all be the same because it's a thousand newspapers across the world and magazines all, all just, so they're not, they can't all be connected. Well, they are all connected. It's quite easy to have them all connected, especially since they're all taking information from one or two news sources. Mm-hmm. That's why they all have the same propaganda. And back in the 30s, I did the talks years ago to do with the 1930s and the 40s with the Rockefeller Foundation. I actually put out surveys, did intensive surveys, and they did very accurate ones, just as the same today, you know. If you want to do something, find all the information about it, then use that information to manipulate your ideas into reality. That may make it all happen. That's why they've never been afraid to push agendas forward. They really study their, their victims carefully before they do it. They understand human nature, hence the incredible investigations of psychology, human behavior, and so on, by the different sciences are involved in it. And, and back in the 30s, uh, Rockefeller and his group realized they only needed about 30 or 33, okay, naturally 33, right, newspapers and magazines to control all the rest. The rest of them would just copy from the 33, you see. And that's what we have today. But you also have uh, maybe two real wire sources that have been popular for a long, long time. 
and most media, again, takes their cue from that. And you even have all these comedies for many years where they would show you the same clips of a myriad of newscasters giving out the same exact spiels per night as each other, without any variation at all, all getting it from the same sources. But to the average person, you understand most folk don't think about things much at all. They tune into their usual favourite newscaster at night on television, and it doesn't dawn on them that every other one, if they flick through the channels, is given the exact same news, all from the same source, obviously. And it is surprising. You would think most folk are like yourselves. For those who are awake, it's a shock at times when you're growing up to realize that most folk don't think or perceive things the way that you do, you know. Um, and it's a shock. I mean, a real shock when, when you realize that they've never thought about certain things at all. They've taken so much for granted and they're perfectly conditioned because of it. They haven't questioned much at all. And, and that's a, a natural way to be, actually, you know, a really natural way to be in some sense. If you're a truly real world where you lived in a tribe of, of people in a village and the head villager that you elected had no more than you did in a simple tribal setting. But we're not in that setting anymore. And you have this incredible amount of persuaders at the top working for, and the politicians, the lackeys working for the big ones above them that put them in power. The the voters don't put them in power. I don't know where you get that idea from, Uh, but uh, it's been that way for an awful long time. Uh, Politicians are very carefully selected and screened uh, uh, before you even hear their names by the same source. And Carl Quigley talked about that too, about the, he said, the 1960s, I think his book came out, and his his main book actually, that he's well known for, he wrote other ones, which I personally think they're they're just as valid. But Tragedy and Hope did come out, and he talked about the the ones who who, who literally, well actually what he talked about was the fact that he and and a squad of professors were brought in as professional persuaders to debate people who are causing ruffles in, in society by exposing things which governments and the governmental agencies, or even the CIA, were, were really involved in, you know? And what they would do would bring in about three or four pers- professors, give them a couple of days to swat up the topic, and they'd go in there in an agreed fashion to attack the person who's either putting a book out or putting out information that's exposing things that they didn't want to be known to the general public. So they would try and ridicule the person as a little, a little uh, you know, you're a person who knows very little, really, and a little, little knowledge is dangerous. We professors know what we're talking about. And you'd defame them and smear them on television. And that would generally, as, as Quigley said, that would generally work. He talked about this in some videos, by the way, too, old ones years ago. And he said until one, at one occasion, occasion it happened, he says, where one guy had come out with a book, and I think it was called None Dare Call It Conspiracy, I think that I mean, the one Gary Allen. And he said, this guy knew his stuff. He'd, he had done his real homework, and, and he says, we couldn't, we couldn't ridicule him. You see? Now, you, you notice he, he didn't see, he, he, we couldn't show that he was wrong. Their, their whole technique was to ridicule hmm? And that hasn't changed the present day. This is how it's really always been. 
It's actually worse today because they've turned out much, much better characters, better trained in behaviorism and psychology and special areas of psychology. Working for the military, by the way, the military's heavily involved in all of this. That's why they turned them loose using the PSYOP organizations with cyber warfare organizations. And it's been the media, it's not my word for it, my my, uh, opinion on it. I've read the articles from the mainstream on it where they they turned these characters loose on those internet media to attack them and defame them and do all kinds of dirty tricks, which they'd used across the world, across the Middle East and Syria and Egypt and different places over the past, and Iraq and so on. And it said in the newspaper, the this, this same uh, organizations are now lo- been authorized to be turned loose upon the public inside their own countries. Do you realize what's going on here? And you, you idiots, and I, I have to say idiots, go, go out and vote all the time to bring, to keep the same system going. This is incredible. <laughs> Because you have no rights, you see. You really don't have any rights at all. Uh, when your governments can collude together to change a society on behalf of, big, of bigger organizations above the governments, rather obviously so, in fact, then it, it, it truly uh, is amazing. And when you have so much evidence for it, that you're going to go and vote for the same characters to come in again. You know? The same people who, who do what they're told and take all your rights away from you under, under the guise of covid and to a formula from previous like tabletop exercises that they had with Johns Hopkins in the past, following the exact formula of lockdown, as I say, right back to the to the one in 2010, Operation Lockstep. That's from the whole uh, one part of of a whole series of stuff put out under the Rockefeller Foundation back then, 2010. And in lockstep, they said they'll keep pushing and pushing and demanding and says, that's what we'll do. Because the idea is to change society forever, right? A planned society. They know where they're going with all and how to get it there and how to cause as much damage as possible to the present cultural system. And they said they they wouldn't stop until there was mass pushback from the general public. That's what they said back then. And that's what we'd have to come to stop this now. And even then, you can't just stop it. You've got to start taking back your rights then. If you don't do that, they've won already, you see. They've already got so far ahead with you. With the changes, you'll accept them. So you've got to push back for all the rights that you had, including the right to work and have your own business and all the rest of it. Got to do it. Because in this new system that they're bringing you into, they don't, you won't be able to have private businesses unless you're big international corporations. It's a very old plan. Very old plan. And you're not in, in the big club, as, as, as um, that comedian said, George Carlin. Now the thing is, you'll never get back to any kind of normalcy when they have a plan at the top. And Mr. Schwab, you know, <laughs> the James Bond villain character, it's a frontman, obviously, for, for the big international corporations that all work under the pyramid of finance, you know, and take their orders from those at the very, very top. It's obvious. You can't have them all on board if they're all independent corporations, which tells you they're not really all independent corporations after all. There's someone who owns most of the shares in these corporations. You always find that happens, you see. You don't need to own the, the big, big amount of shares to run the company in order to tell the company what to do. And don't forget the CEOs are generally employees. They may have some shares, but they're, they're really employees of the corporation. 
and the corporation then serves the bigger system that brings them in, helps them, and gives them what financial help that they need to get through bad times, good times, or increase their profits. They don't do it all themselves. And so you have the appearance of, of big, successful corporations, but you've got to understand that they get big because someone chose them to be big, someone at the top, the big club, you know. And they do that too by eliminating competition. That's how you get to have a big international club, a monopoly, basically. You eradicate competition. And, of course, after the, the different um, takedowns of big corporations in the past, like the Rockefellers before with their, with their oil corporations and monopolies in, in so many different areas, which is a sign by, actually, it's like, it's like signs of a disease. When you see the same signs creeping across the world, you find these guys all know each other at the top in different countries. And they're doing the same thing. They take over the resources of the planet. You'll find that too in Quigley's books to an extent too. You also find it with the statements they make, the ones that represent them, like old David Rockefeller, who died and his father before him, who said competition is a sin. He wasn't being uh, egotistical as such and, and just arrogant. He was actually saying what he really believed. An idea was to eliminate competition. They had the right, these guys like himself and an organization he belonged to, had the right to take over the world's resources. And only they could work it properly. The general public were too stupid and, and lower class to manage their own lives. In fact, that's what they believed. You're incapable of managing your own life. That hasn't changed. And so you'll find from, from old books, from H.G. Wells, even before Wells actually, but H.G. Wells was rather arrogantly all for this agenda, and uh, the same agenda that, that pretended it was left-wing, because they had to get the working class on board with them, the Fabian Society, financed by the biggest, the richest folk of the era, so we're told anyway, I think there's bigger ones than them, like the, the Astor family. And members like Bertrand Russell, who belonged to all these different organizations, by the way, had a big, big hand in shaping the system you're in today, including talking and writing about the present system of changes, how they did to bring in warlike scenarios to change the system, same as Quigley. But Russell also talked about useless eaters because he and Wells and all the rest of them were eugenicists. They believed in superior types and inferior types. The socialist uh, leaders they created, like George Bernard Shaw, were, were very open about that. They had the right to choose who would live and die. We saw that in operation when the Bolsheviks took over Russia. They went right to work at that, you know. And Shaw said the same thing. You have to come to us and ask us why we should keep you alive. Your great socialist organizations. It's amazing how they can keep things quiet. And, and other socialist countries, they can, they can actually paint with as a villain and make thousands of movies about them. But when you find they're all the same, really, at least the ones who run them all are connected to a higher group. They're all the same. Uh, this is dead silence. That that shows you that you're actually on the right track when you're, you begin to get that little light come on in your head. And that's how it is. Useless eaters, Bertrand Russell said. When talked about overpopulation, if you just let the people breed and all that, and H.G. Wells said it too. He says we can 
what, what about the people helping the people? It says, well, we can give them food and we can help them get better hygiene and so on. And what do they do? He says, they breed. You know, you know, he was so disgusted at that. It was okay for him to breed with different wives and so on over time. But you see, they belong to the right, uh, the right, the right people that had the right genes, the right makeup. And, um, and you didn't, you see. And you find the same thing with, with Margaret Sanger, a plant parent, who she talked about children being weeds. That's what she called them, eh? And certain certain ethnic groups, too. She was <laughs> straightforward. Well, no one hammers her, you know? You'd think, you, you, this is the whole thing with logic. Logic has to be logical. It has to be the same. When the same circumstances are applied across the board to the same scenarios, you can't say these ones are evil and these ones are good. When that happens, there's something else at play, obviously, and people miss that all the time. But yeah, you had you had H.G. Wells, who was a you know, frontman, propagandist for the global society. He was all for the world wars that were coming. They knew they, they, they need a world war to, to change society. And he, again, I've said this before, he was the one who invented the, the slogans for the military to make you hate the enemy, because most folk don't hate the folk they're told to go off and kill. And so you've got to demonize the enemy. Same within society under COVID, they're demonizing sections of society. Same techniques are always used before you isolate them and you deplatform them, stop them from having any speech, and then, then you eradicate them in one way or another, you see. Standard techniques never change. But H.G. Wells, he, he, called, he, he, he came up with the idea of the Hun and the Sun, you know, but we're of the Hun. So there weren't German people, no, there were Huns, you see, like the old, old uh, tribal groups and so on. So you dehumanize them. They did the same with the Japanese World War II, of course, big time. But he also came up with the idea of, of splitting society internally. Because in World War I, at least initially, they didn't have uh, drafting, you see. Uh, it was voluntary only, and that, so the propaganda was very basic but perpetual for the, the whole duration of the war. Go off and fight for your country. And I've said this before years ago, if you look at the posters for the British monarchy, go off and fight for the king, you know. You, you'll find it's the same, they were, they were the cousins, the, the Kaiser were their cousins, you know. And you'll see the, the, the same features on the posters, doesn't matter if it was German or, or British, because they were all Germanic. <laughs> that, was the, that was a big joke of all. And you could literally change, Melofo wouldn't know the difference who was who in the posters, because they looked so, they were so closely inbred, you know? They looked, they looked so similar, actually the same. There was the same, same with, of course, with uh, the Tsar Russia. And uh, anyway, here they're, they're telling you to go off and fight uh, the other people, that are the real Germans fighting the real British, you know. And when you think, and H.G. Wells was all for that, for the, for the changes it would cause and societal changes. Because then government takes over food and, and work and everything else. All the things you would do yourself, they'd take all the rights from you and you'll work for the state, at least for the duration of the war. You never quite get out of it either. And the banks make a killing. The big, big lenders make a killing on war, you know. Guaranteed to have it returned with all this massive compound interest by the government and its tax bureaus. You know. So Wells, he came up with that hunt in the sun, but he also internally split the people. 
by getting arguments amongst them. That's sad stuff to get them all arguing with each other, you see, just like COVID. You get in a shot, yes or no, blah, blah, blah. And, and you get them all fighting each other. And Wells uh, is said to, to the women, you know, to the wives. If your husband doesn't go off and fight, then you should wear a, a, a white feather in your hat to, to show shame. And the people would see that and see you didn't know that it was your husband your, or your son you were referring to. Same with girls and, and fiancés, they would do the same thing to shame them, you see, to join the army and go off and fight for something that had really nothing to do with them. And, they, and no one to this day really has figured out what it's about, except the ones who caused it all, made it happen. So that was the great H.G. Wells, you know. And he, he lit a lot of the bag, too. He did mention, even in his novels, how he, he would come into work and there's all this paperwork just on his desk with all these ideas. And he was telling you really how he did get because he was getting a lot of information from the different uh, science departments, especially, and, and government uh, and, and universities that were told to work with them, you know, to shape a new society. It's quite—it's just astonishing that folk don't really get what you're—even even in fiction, what you're was portraying. Uh, it's portraying the future is planned that way, it's predictive programming to an extent. And in things to come, he shows you in one way of a war scenario, like you're in today, a COVID war, like Mr. Schwab said, eh? WEF, World Economic Forum. It's a war-type scenario, because out of the war-type, they have a completely different society. That's why they're going to drag it on for years. You see? <laughs> so they have that dragged on for years in a real war-type scenario in Wells, things to come. And uh, out of it, you have the Brotherhood of the Air, a scientific uh, Freemasonry <laughs> of the air, he says, in his novel. Uh, they can keep secrets, work together, and, and they're international. And they, and then their descendants, uh, are ruling the future. And you see them in the future in that movie form with the same actors that, that initially started off the Brotherhood of the Air, running a futuristic society with, with them in the top and the big sort of huge um, cathedral-type buildings managing the whole societies with these, this discontented lot down below that had nothing to do except hobbies and so on. And were bored stiff, and and the scientists kept changing society with more inventions and changing everything. Change, change, change. So the ones at the top started arguing that there's just too much change. We can't adapt quick enough, and and it's disrupt it's disruptive to our system, or our, our, our psychology, and all that kind of stuff and culture. And that's what it was about too. So they touched on that for the, for those in the know at the top. That's the, they give a message for themselves. And that's what the, the whole idea of, of Darwinism is, is adapt or die as well, you see, and eugenics. So anyway, the ones at the bottom, uh, Bertrand Russell called, called the useless eaters. And if you're not essential, you're getting the point, essential, then you're classed as a useless eater. As a starting to, a, a little bell's gone off maybe once in a while, you know? Useless eaters. It's all connected. This isn't happenstance. It's not coincidence. It's all connected, folks. Because they have given out these talks your whole life long at world meetings about useless eaters and too many of you. It's always you, not them, but it's always too many of you. You see, all their helpers think they're going to get through as well and get extra little. But again, a lot of them will be useless as well once there's nobody left to order about down below, you see. 
And that's where it all will end up eventually. That, that be, that's some kind of something on your side to an extent. You may not get uh, satisfaction in your lifetime, but you can be guaranteed that the ones who help it all happen, <laughs> they get theirs eventually as well, because they won't need them either, you see. Uh, very much, very, it's very Marxian in a sense, you know. For, for those who don't understand the whole concept of Marxism, which really it came into this idea of communism and of Trotskyism and all these isms, you see. Anything with ism is part of the same structure. And I really mean that too, by the way. You know. It's again the same kind of pyramid and techniques that he uses as isms. And you find that in Marxism, the way that at least Lenin and then Stalin promoted Marxism, was that, that you would get to a stage and a generation where they'd have vast changes as they slaughtered off all the previous intelligentsia and replaced them by themselves. And that's what happened in, so in Russia and other communist countries. And then, of course, the next phase of it would be a kind of cultural revolution, which is more written about, in, about the Chinese cultural revolution, where it becomes stagnant to an extent, and those who take over become fat and comfortable, and they're the new middle class that lack nothing, really. And they're equivalent to middle classes in other countries that are supposedly their enemies. Uh, and they have all the same goods, material goods, and so on at that, that level. And so the, the, the things become inefficient because the state runs it all. And, um, and people who work for the state are guaranteed their income, you know. They don't have to be good at it. And things decline. And therefore, uh, they get a cultural revolution going where the students are indoctrinated to turn on those who are all, including their parents. And in some cases, just slaughter them. Because, and the, the theory being that they're contaminated with some of the remnant ideas of the old system and from their parents. So you turn on the parents to show that you're more avant-garde than they are. And, and you're the next step of the phase of this religion of communism or Marxism, you see. And that's what you do. So you wipe them out and then you're left with a radicalized group who generally stirs up trouble in the world and has to be put in its place by other nations. That's how it used to be, at least in theory. And, and then you start to realize, no, they couldn't take on the whole world by themselves. Then they get older and they get fat and lazy and quite happy and content as leaders. And uh, it starts going down. And of course, you, then, then you find out that underneath all of it, you've got another group who studied them, who promoted them, in fact, and who even, who even helped them come into being. The same group that gave you the American Revolution. And they studied that too. They called it the Great Experiments. One was the American Revolution for for individual liberty and rights. Individual, you know, you had to respect your rights. And if you didn't respect your rights and, and stand for them and make sure you had them, uh, they'd be taken away from you. That was the big experiment. And if you, if you abused your rights, uh, then again, they'd be taken away from you, you see. And of course, you find even the founding fathers in the U.S. talked about it. Jefferson and other ones talked about the uh, if every family had his, a, a, a cow or two for, for for milk at least and some farmland, it would work well in an agricultural society if everyone had the same kind of. But once you get into the city, see, the city has always been the antithesis, you know, of 
freedom because a, a city is artificial. It survives on a, 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 a hierarchy structure at the very top of the ultra, ultra rich who live like a beehive system on the ones all below it, a tiered system. And once you enter a city, if you're working class, you're generally trapped there for your life quite often because you can't get out of it. The money you earn goes off to pay for rent, which is atrocious, you know, and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, the agricultural system, it was the only way you had some kind of freedom and space as well, by the way, you know. And that was always the problem and down through history, even in ancient Roman times. You had the Senate try to take away the, the peasants' uh, small holdings, agricultural societies encroaching on them to take land off them and so on. And that caused an awful lot of problems and revolutions and backlash from the peasantry. And then, of course, once you get run short of food because you've taken land off the people, you well, we've seen it all before, haven't we? In our own lifetimes, or at least your, your parents have with uh, China and the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union imported most of its grain from the West in its entire existence. And again, you have the strange thing. Why would you be feeding what we're told is your greatest, the greatest enemy? <laughs> when things don't quite mesh, there's something going on here that you're not in on, you know. Because your own countries, uh, I've, got, I've used starvation across the world by starting wars, getting folk wrapped into the wars, even off the land until they're all fighting elsewhere. And you find across Africa, uh, they often, the, the, the starvation is caused because there's other wars going on around them. And often from the West, it's inspired by the West and funded by the West and corporations are involved. And, uh, and again, a lot of the, the best land is taken away from them and put under United Nations Habitat Organization. Some of the best farmland, or the Sierra Club and Prince Philip's groups and so on, some of the best farmlands. That's not coincidental, because they know if you feed the people, they might be healthy and then they might breed, you know. They, they talk about it, for goodness sake. They publish this stuff to their members. And somehow the people outside and uh, the first world countries think, well, that doesn't mean us. You know? That's the greatest thing of all, that you, you don't realize that, yeah, yeah, you're the first subjects to be introduced to forms of sterilization, not all at the same time to the same extent, but <laughs> your numbers have been plummeting for a long time. And they keep publishing this, these quizzical results. You know, it's, why is that happening, they say, you know? Meanwhile, they can, they can spend billions to find out uh, all about coronaviruses and things like that. Even then, they can't tell you much about them, really. But uh, you would think they would certainly. And they know plenty about anatomy and physiology and biology and biochemistry. But they, yeah, it's a big puzzle to why your sperm count's dropping. What's changed in the last, oh, 100 years? Well, has your food changed? Well, to the extent it has... But what else has changed? Has anything been introduced in your body in your life? Well, I could mention what it is, but I'd get black marks for saying it. Well, that's as basic, you know, Occam's razor, you know. It's Sherlock Holmes, isn't it? What's changed? And believe you me, if you hit on a certain topic, alarm bells go off, you'll find out very quickly. <laughs> And again, I've mentioned before that Bertrand Russell said that by means of diet injections and injunctions, they could reduce the population and make them placid as well and obedient. Huh? 
drops in IQ, the same IQ levels that the United Nations has been publishing for years, every few years they publish the same test results in different countries across the world. And it's a big puzzle why the same tests are showing that there's a drop in the intelligence of people across the board. It's just, it's one of them things, you know, it's a puzzle. And I guess most folk, if they bother to even read them at all, um, accept them as just some mystical thing, perhaps, Mystical. But there's nothing about us that's not known by the huge, huge layers upon layer upon layer of a, of a system of, of observation, investigation, and analysis, and the collecting of all kinds of data on humans. There's nothing they don't know. Nothing. They actually say that, especially in their psych, psychological warfare operations. And bring in, when they bring in anthropologists, it's astonishing. I've got so many articles in it over the years, but they, 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 I know they, they sent anthropologists into the Middle East along with the military. They had it in the newspapers at the time uh, to train the, 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 the soldiers on the culture, you see, and how the culture developed, but also they trained them on what terrifies each culture. So the anthropologists would work with those eventually that did the torturing, you know, the. the the ones that do the, the, the extraordinary rendition, like to call it, rather than just kidnapping, this extraordinary rendition. And they've made a movie about it, remember, with a woman in charge of the CIA. And the movie actually basically based on the reality, <laughs> where they would have people tied up and, and covered in blood and all kinds of things and stuff and tortured. And, and, and that's why you also saw certain things happening at Abu Ghraib which they knew Muslim countries that are an abhorrence of. That's why they used what you saw there. Thanks to your anthropologists and psychologists and behaviorists that, that you pay for, that are now working on all of you <laughs> at home. <laughs> but we have gone into science fiction. Things which were absurd years ago are, have been pushed to the top to become the norm. At least try to persuade you that it's normal. All kinds of absurd things. And I just, I even hate to even mention it, but I'll put up one article for anybody who cares to look at it. It's been all over the media, naturally. Because they tell you what to think about and what to argue about and so on. And it's about, I think LifeSite News had one, another newspaper pushed this woman, who's a professor at university who's into the... Uh, the occult, and she, she dresses in the, the gothic type thing, the, the purple lipstick and the, the black this and the black that around the eyes, and, and who is a professor, as I say, and, and supposedly practices spells and things, you know. But you look at the character, just the character, and it all came out of TV series years ago as promoting all this stuff, that the look, the language, the doctrine that they like to espouse was actually given to them through fiction, primarily through fiction. Entertaining fiction, that's why it must be entertaining to get them to get hooked on it. And uh, for, for back through the 90s, and you're seeing these, these, but at one time they would put these in science fiction, seen the 1970s, of a future society, and it's amazing, they look just like the characters in the science fiction with the hair that looks really, really, really weird, almost like, almost like a Medusa thing, like snakes coming out of it and stuff. Uh, and this is what you're seeing uh, today 
and people who promote it into having powers um, of indoctrination of young school children and teenagers and so on. It's fascinating just to look at that and study all. Um, and many, many other things like that too are pushed to the front. It is, truly is astonishing. And other people are getting covered in tattoos. Covered in tattoos. All again from TV series and so on. And again, monkey see, monkey do. That's what people do. But it's one thing about wearing bell-bottom trousers to drainpipe trousers and then from winkle picker shoes, as you used to call them, from the Beatles era all the way up to, to what you've got today, you know. It's a rather vastly different. That's one thing. But when you're getting covered in tattoos, then uh, the symbology of the tattoos was always to do with the primitive. You see, that's, what, that's how it was always portrayed before, before tattoos were made to be popular. And I mean made to be popular. Uh, they were always portrayed in, in movies as the primitive, the pirate types, you know, the bad guys. And, and of course, gangs, hmm? big gangs you know, in, in Japan and China, triads in China. And uh, certain other gangs, even in Russia, uh, that were even within Russia, are subcultures as well of different groups with the occult symbology plastered on them, which again is a good study in, in, in behavior of, of the different ethnic type gangs. It's quite fascinating. And the occult symbologies they use according to their own backgrounds, uh, even religious backgrounds. So, uh, but there's always, always again, basically associated with, now you're seeing cops wearing them. So the, so the cops, they're supposed to be the good guys, uh, are, are covered in tattoos like the bad guys to look more ferocious, you see. Would you want to go to to someone who who is wearing on his skin the symbols that used to be associated with murderous gangs? Do you feel better now, you know, with the cops? Who's designed that look? It didn't happen by itself. It really didn't. Nothing happens by itself in culture. Plato said it. Everything that happens in culture is authorized by those at the top. Because anything that happens in culture has to be analyzed to see where it would lead, what changes it would cause within society. And therefore it's vetted. And it's, if it happens at all, it's generally pushed from the top and promoted. But from the grassroots, it's generally nipped in the bud. So whatever happens is always pushed from the top, as I've said before. Again, there's nothing about humans that they don't know. And today, with this daily <laughs> accumulation of all kinds of data, it's just astonishing. The analysis that goes on, and, and again, specific universities are given the, the right to tap into the net so they can actually get the higher data from Silicon Valley of everybody's emails and chit-chat and electronic chat and so on. And, and, and it's been happening since they, they gave you the cell phone and the computer. There's nothing you've done that they don't know or looked at they don't know. It was from the very beginning. It was intended to be that way. And the folk, again, I guess it's too late now for folk to think because whatever they're doing now is, is normal to them. And they've succumbed to it. There's certain things. That there's, it's almost like going into areas of the occult. You know? 
which are warranted about in all religions, ancient up to the modern, you know, where you can go a certain way in a certain direction and then you have different paths and then you have little marks across a road where you can't either do cross them or you don't cross them. And each thing that you cross, you're given a warning about, it's hard to go back. And a lot of folk go end up that way. It's the same thing in all, all areas of culture. The behaviors count on that. They account on you becoming familiar with ha- by habit and all the things which really are detrimental to you. All the things that that uh, Aldous Huxley warned you about. And and he was almost a Mr. It's a Mr. Mills character, for those who don't know that. Uh, Mr. Mills is an occult figure, a term used in occultism, that, that appears in every generation. And he's a neutral character. And who gives warnings? Very plain warnings about do this and this happens, do that and that'll happen and so on. And you'll find that that kind of character came in to the modernized version of Titus Andronicus that Anthony Hopkins was in. They have a, a kind of Mr. Mills character that appears every so often in that one too. But it's a common theme in occultism where certain people come out every so often and, and give you the warnings and, and blatant warnings, accurate warnings, and are either obeyed, uh, people are not obeyed because it doesn't tell them what to do, uh, but uh, people will listen and make decisions, you see, either for or against, and that's the way it really is. But we have that. We, I mean, we have these characters that, that come out every so often and down through time and do this for us, you see. But they also know at the top, again, back to behavior and, and habit. Habit is, a, everyone's prone to habits. If they get up in the morning, it used to be on radio before internet, folk would turn on their radio, a lot of folk, and, and they'd listen to that, sort of opening their eyes and getting ready for with a coffee, go to work and so on. Uh, and then listen to radio on the way to work, and they all they'll all have their favourite d- DJs, you know, the the, the mouth pieces of babble, you know, because we live in babble, constant babble, uh, our whole lives now, electronic babble. Uh, most folk now are afraid, and and have done so many studies on it, afraid now of of silence. It's a terrifying thing to a lot of people, the silence. Eh? Uh, special forces, by the way, they've done tests with special, modern special forces now, and they set them off into the wilderness somewhere, and they'll take away any communication occasionally, and some of them crack up because of the silence and the fact that they can't communicate with anybody if they feel that they might have an emergency or might have this, all the mice, all the maybes, it works on their minds and, and they become fearful, you know. Even the, even the sounds in nature can get to them because they don't have that internal confidence that people used to have. And they'll crack up and ask to be let out. It's just astonishing. But a lot of folks can't handle because once it's silent, you see, you've been trained your whole life to, to, to listen to other folks' voices all day long, either through music or news or whatever it happens to be, but babble, babble, babble. It's completely unnatural, but to you it is natural because you're habituated to, you see. 
But what you miss is that quiet time where that little inner voice of your own should take over as you think things over and come to your own conclusions. You see, the whole technique today is to, to overwhelm you with data. And I've given these talks over the years from the sources themselves and government sources, at least the, the agencies that work for them, where they talk about overloading people with data. Data can be just nonsense, you see. It doesn't, doesn't mean it's, it's factual or even handy to have it. It's just d- overwhelming data. And the more you take in, uh, the less room there is for you to make up your own conclusions of your own data on anything. It's, it's a technique which is well, it's actually taught in the, with the, in the PSYOP groups and the teams yeah? and agencies. See, the biggest problem that they have at the top is that folk will think for themselves. That's why they spend so much of your tax money making sure that you don't get time to do that or you don't have the peace and quiet to do it. They certainly will not give you all the factual information you need to come to independent conclusions for yourself on any major topic. And I mean any major topic. You have no idea of how much mind control most folk are already in. And under. I'm not exaggerating it there either. This is where it really is today. And years ago, I used to have uh, lots of information from MIT because they'd love to publish. Uh, they were given new divisions to study this or that on internet and, and even cell phone chat in real time. They were getting, getting to get into calls and so on. Of course, they were using all that information that they pretend was private. For, oh, yeah, you just private stuff on the net and all that and private. No, no, you've never had that. They've recorded everything from the beginning, folks. Well, they didn't have the laws then to stop them, or they did have laws. No, they didn't. Or they did. They didn't care. That's all for you to believe in, you know. Getting back to the cultural revolutions that the communists used, the same kind of thing. Communism is a religion that people had to believe in. And you see, you could understand the science. They called it a science of Marxism. Only special folk could understand it, like, like Stalin, you know. And so they all have to praise Stalin for, his, for the little things he came up. Even if he didn't understand who he was taught, he was such a genius, you see, and so advanced and, and uh, or steeped in advanced Marxism that you wouldn't understand it at your lowly level. I should have churned out books like this. <laughs> uh, well, that's what you're in today, you see. Most of what you really uh, uh, thought about was given to you. Most of it's trivia. But the stuff that's not trivia, again, is all given to you by the experts. You know, we'll bring in an expert to tell you what do you think. Bertrand Russell said this in the 40s and 50s. We'll train the public that they can't have a thought of their own or do anything themselves without the advice from an expert on anything. From having children to how children are born to how you change the diaper, they call it a nappy by then in Britain. Women would have to be taught by experts every step of the way, and the guys too, and what to expect. And that's happened in my lifetime, you know. At one time, everybody just knew from folk having children and families, as you grew up with them, you knew what was going on, you knew what was expected, you knew how to do things. You didn't need experts for anything. 
It's astonishing to realise that the modern medicine is, isn't very old at all, you know. And it's astonishing to, to even look into allopathic medicine. That a series, I think, years ago, someone sent me a disc on them, and it was to do with uh, the, the medicines and pharmacology. Uh, they were sold right through the 1800s, 1700s, into the early 20th century, and a good part of the 20th century. That was all bogus, all the medications. Most of the medications were completely bogus, you know. And even made out of earthworms. And they, there's a good series. This is factual. This is what they, this is what they had until they really got into the, the more advanced chemicalized biology, the biochemistry. So it's a pretty new field, really. But like any new field, when big, big money is backing it, and the, the incredible amount of money that pharmacology makes today is astonishing. Wherever you have such money at stake uh, and profits and very important people, because ordinary folk are not important in this system, you see, just very, very, very wealthy folk who are important in this system. That's when they make you you worship them, the the wealthy folk, you know, and folk do. Uh, Then you can never have honesty. You can't have honesty of any possible kind. Even if you had some decent people, they, that, in a miracle situation where you had one or two decent folk at the very top of pharmacology, uh, which wouldn't happen in this cutthroat system, uh, the competitors would, would go bypass and do their own thing anyway and do whatever they thought was unethical to get more profit. They'd do it, absolutely. You know. And that's why the lobby government, and that's why they put politicians into power, financially. And that's also why they combine with elitists and eugenicists that want to change society by using, again, diet injections and injunctions. Eh? Pharmacology and Aldous Huxley warned us all in a certain sense. Again, he was a, a Mr. Mills-type character, just to finish that part of the talk, where he, he said it, not just at Berkeley, at Berkeley University, but also in his books, he had some non-fiction books as well, where he talked about uh, the follow-up to his book, you know, Brave New World, and how it, all these things in it could be and probably would be implemented eventually by those who had the power in society to implement upon the public. And that's all happened. So he's Mr. Mill's character, that he, he did warn, again, at least on public television, on the Mike Wallace interview where he said, well, with the techniques we have now and where it can go, because they knew the rate of change in society and these behavioral sciences. And so he said that uh, the, the, the techniques of persuasion they could get people to do things eventually that perhaps wasn't in their best interest. He knew how advanced it was then in the 1960s and where it would end up going. And this all happened. He, he was careful not to say so much in the talk that he was all for it. But you remember, too, that Aldous Huxley belonged to the Huxley family, a scientific elite. That's what his brother called it, a scientific elite, his, the branch of the family, amongst many other parts of the scientific elite, the dominant science group that ran the world on behalf of the dominant minority, the ones who run all the finances above them. 
So the scientific elite below them, including all kinds of uh, behaviorists and scientists and social scientists, they worked uh, for those who ruled, you know, and they used their sciences like spells over the public, you see. So he he was careful did to mention the other part that they believe in, of course, and always did believe in. In that talk with Wallace, he, he did start off his talk. Well, you know, the population in the world, and he mentioned what they claimed it might have been then, and how it would double or whatever by the year, whatever, 2000, whatever it happened to be at that time. Because they're always fudging figures, so it doesn't matter. So he lets you know off, off, right off the bat, there's too many people. He doesn't go into his deeper beliefs that there's too many useless eaters because he was an elitist himself, Aldous Huxley, as his brother was, you know. His brother really became one of the head members of socialism because they guide society into family planning, depopulation, all the rest of it under the guise of helping the working class. So uh, you, you got to understand that there was nothing that, that he... And eugenics and elitism that he didn't know about. He belonged to. That's why he could write, write Brave New Worlds years before, but nineteen thirty-two, nineteen thirty-three, uh, because he he mixed with that those world groups. He had world meetings. Those groups, you know, and this, they've always had world meetings. And Huxley also talked about. Well, you know, if you let it go this way, we'll have all kinds of physical problems with people who have hereditary ailments. He was also talking about IQ levels and so on. Eh? And he said, for, he, says, he says, some people, for instance, if you wear glasses, he said, he said well, then your eyes aren't, aren't perfect, and so you'll pass that on to someone else. And they'll have bad eyes. He's talking about supremacy of eugenics and how the eugenical supreme classes should go on. That's what he was talking about. It's amazing how folk can like what they're hearing, and they're not hearing what they're hearing, <laughs> but they like what they're hearing. You know? It's coming from a guy who is so well-educated and from, from a, an elite point of view. He has such a great command of vocabulary. And it's true enough, the vocabulary of these guys was, was almost, almost a 17th century vocabulary because they were taught that way, to talk that way carefully about every single vowel and syllable, and that's how they pronounced them, you know. Very impressive at the time. But folk often don't really hear what's being said because the guy wasn't wearing a uniform like some supreme nasty commander, you know, of history. They always give you uniform guys. I've mentioned it so often. Where the, the, the greatest thing you worried about today is either a white coat or a suit. These are your terrorists of today on the general public. Why do you think even a lot of these doctors they're using for COVID might be given a, a talk from their own home and they've got a white coat on? Do they walk about their homes with white coats? No, no, it's just to impress you. Because you know? you're trained to see that white coat and, and believe it, it, it more appropriately. So you, you, they must, well, yeah, they, they've got that white coat. That's the priest coat. This is the new priesthood, the white coats, you see. And that's what they are, a priest class, with their belief systems. I prefer the other religions, you see, because they, they, they give you commandments and things and this and that. But the priestly class of, of white coats, especially in medicine and, and um, 
even the vaccine, you know, studies that they've done, all kinds of that. Well, it may do this and it may do that and it might and, and lots of maybes and might. Very scientific. So it's better to have white coats on because then you don't question it. Well, well look at that, you know. That they've got their, and, and it's almost like the stole that the, the priests would have around their necks, you know, as well. They'd have, the, they'd have their, their habit on, you know, and their outer garments for, for ceremonial reasons. And then they'd have that, that there was a purple one around their neck. And, but the, the doctors, some of them just keep their stethoscopes around there, you see. So the white coat on and the stethoscope. It's, it's, these are religious uniforms you're looking at, folks. And you're trained that the, you know, as soon as you see them, you, your mind alters. Just irrespective of what they're actually saying, your mind alters until you listen to them and obey them. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite a simple trick, but it works wonders. But, but there isn't getting back to what I'm saying. You're, you're trained from birth in all these things, and you're persuaded to go along with a system where nothing that you hear on television, pretty well, pretty well, nothing actually, isn't rehearsed and scripted and produced and put across as spontaneous to you. And it's been that way for most of your life. That's how it really is. I remember reading too about Kissinger. I love it. Who would kiss a singer? <laughs> I used to have a joke. Who would kiss a singer? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> again, in Kissinger was presented as the high priest of the Nixon era and, and other eras as well. I mean, Whenever they would never talk about the president, they'd always have the guy who spoke on behalf of the president because he was making all the decisions, it seemed. And it's a dark character. I mean, a dark, there's something around him. Children could see it, you know. A darkness around the character that's uh, it's almost a, a negative spirituality or something like that. But it's a darkness in, in that presence of the character. Someone who, who could plan wars and with, with the, very dispassionately and talk about starving people, using the food, to, lack of food or withholding food to starve people in different countries like Bangladesh. And he did, you know. You're talking about the people in charge of the military-industrial complex, at least working for them at a very high level. And um, like all these different seats on different boards within U.S. government policy for the military. And at that time too, yeah, they had communism on the go. The communism, though, it was never really about outside America. That was to, again, change society within America. But inside America, the communists were already working inside America and, and in government too, just like they were in Canada. Just like Carl Quigley talked about them. And Carl Quigley said the organization that he belonged to, that had been running the U.S. and the West for 80, about 60 to 80 years already, his club. And I really mean this. This is not conspiracy theory, unless he was making a conspiracy, but he was talking about himself in his own book and in his own talks. That this group, this, this, this organization, he said, had picked presidents and prime ministers in the West for the last 60 to 80 years. Now, he was, he was given the talk in the 1960s. In the book you met in the 1960s. So you're definitely into the 1880s, 1890s at least. 
And um, and he said, they don't have to put everybody in government. There's a member of this circle, this group, he said, but the ones in all parties, at the top of all parties, are selected and put in there. Astonishing, really. The folk don't even know that. And that's why the U.S., basically grafted into itself the British system, the same club that ran Britain for a long time, that ran, that was the British Empire, not the people, the people that owned it all. And Lord Del Grey and other ones that were the go-betweens to the, to the members on the state side. So this is, this club definitely exists, it definitely is there. They gave you the Rockefellers and Everybody else is a well-known name today. The same group, I'm sure, that you have Zuckerberg and all the other characters, even Bill Gates fronting. They're, they're fronting. They're just put there, you know, to fulfill agendas for their lifetime. You're born into a very high cult, in a sense. And they'll make a... They're just, just like any rock star or actor or actress. As they're making a star, they put the star machinery in, give them a fake background or tell you they're a genius, and you believe it. And they give you incredible funding behind them. And they must make a certain amount of money, but they, they put it so much out in so-called philanthropy, which is just just basically pushing the, the, this planned agenda. They all work together, folks. And they could be defamed just by their own if they ever broke the rules, absolutely, and left paupers if, if need be. Most of them you see were made stars by the star-making machinery. Bill Gates is a businessman. And his daddy before him. A monopolist, too. That's another sign and symptom of them, like a disease. The monopolists. Rockefeller was the same monopolist, you see. Eliminate competition. As I've said earlier. So, you're living through incredible times, witnessing it all. Most folk aren't aware of what they're witnessing because they're, 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 they've been stampeded through terror, a war of terror upon them by the authorities. Because the best way to get rapid change and compliance is when you're terrified of dying. And that's why Klaus Schwab said it too, is that this is a war we're using, you know, a war, you know. You could never do it in a peaceful for some for way, we just ignored them, you see. <laughs> the climate change scenario wasn't working out. Now they're talking about global cooling again. So this is the this is this is better, you see. They can really rush it through under the war. And no one no one no one's gonna come out of this without being non essential except the very big boys, you know. And gals, and uh, you'll all be non-essential, and, and you'll accept that you're useless eaters. You, you understand what's happening here? <laughs> do you do you really understand what's happening? Never in history have nations been shut down entirely by an order from their own governments, business-wise, into complete bankruptcy scenarios. Never happened. Never in history have the healthy been quarantined. This is the first. This is a worse. This is the best thing they could think of to shut the whole planet down and to destroy all the systems that were, and nations, by the way, that were. And what emerges out of it is a plan, new planned society. Oh, they'll give you the appearance of nations to an extent, but you're already international anyway, you see. 
and all the world organizations that are even the, the extra ones that, that pushed through under COVID to bring to make sure we're all coordinated and for for our greater good, you understand, on finances and so on and so. Oh, these global societies. Well, technically, you see, that if we all merge together, you've got a global order. You know, there you are. They're, they're calling you a new world order. There's that term again, because they're always giving us new world orders. You see, always. The Soviet system was to be a new world order. You know, a utopia for workers, and they called it new world order. Hitler's was going to be the same. They're both socialist societies, communism and Nazism. And the elite love socialism, whatever the way you call it, communism. Remember, Stalin just said that communism is socialism in a hurry. We'll get hung up in terms, but it's what you see. If it quiets like a duck, it's a duck, you know. Don't get hung up on words, because they can change words, and that confuses folk until it throws them right off. <laughs> You're looking at the same thing, but you'll never really... Apply it to what it was applied to before. Oh, yeah, I recognize that. It reminds me, too, of Theo Adorno. You know, Theo Adorno was amazing. And, and he worked with uh, Horkheimer and a whole bunch of other people in the Frankfurt School. But he, he talks about eradicating completely Western values and culture. How it have to be done for a healthy world. Completely. How do you destroy healthy values? What do you introduce to replace those values? Well, unhealthy ones. And you watch society get erect. Yeah? What makes a society complete? It's not a matter of do you like it or not. What makes it function and strong? That the family unit where families had to take care of their own. <laughs> you do away with that by encouraging uh, promiscuity and non-marriage. So the state ends up taxing more people to pay for than wanted. And then you bring in abortion clinics and you pay for that too. And then you have you, you don't have folk getting married at all and reproducing. And then you introduce new kinds of families and so on. This is war scenarios, you see. That's what we use for war. But you must get the folk to like what you're doing. <laughs> and it's quite easy to get youngsters to like whatever they're, especially when it's the, it's the, it's the candy at the checkout counter. Huh? I used to give the talks on all that, how the psychology was used, because uh, it's admitted, and it's, you've probably come to the conclusion without to be told, but why are all the, 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 the candies that you see in a, a store, even general stores and grocery stores, all the candies are at the checkout counter. And all, generally from shoulder level downwards, you know, from different levels, as so as the children can grab them with a restriction. There's nothing separating the child from the candy. And their arms just go out, boom, and oh, I want that. And mum or dad says, well, you can't have that right now. And then the, the child puts on a screaming match. And, you, and no one, and it's all psychology, you know. If you've ever studied the people who do mar the Bernays techniques, hmm? that's where a lot of behaviorism came from, was all these techniques that have been practiced before even Bernays came along. He, he inherited a lot of the knowledge. But how do you make people buy? Well, people, psychology, if you're in a line of a checkout counter, you feel embarrassed if there's a queue behind you and you're holding it up. You feel guilty. 
Guilt is an incredible, an incredible persuader. That's why they use it now against COVID, you see. Guilt. And actually, they have it in their manuals and the PSYOP operations right now. But I never really mean that. I've got them here. Use guilt as a weapon to make folk to comply, you see. Well, this, they got it from that, that kind of checkout counter idea where mum or dad feels embarrassed and she's got her groceries all sitting there and here's the people behind them going, oh, here's a screaming child and... And she'll pay it, you see, and okay then. So naturally the child's going to do it every time it's there. Eh? <laughs> it worked, right? And that's why it's there. Well, if you want to destroy society and culture, and like they the said in the Communist Manifesto, the end of the family unit. And so it said the same thing too by Albert Pike at one point. If he was talking about end, because he belonged to the World Revolutionary Party, and he talked about ending not just the family unit, but private property for most people. I say most, it's very important, that little word, the most thing. And uh, but then you, again, the end. How do you destroy the family? Well, you create promiscuity. How how do you also do what Julian Huxley said? We'd have to knock humans off their pedestal as being a superior creature on the planet, and bring them down to the level of animals. Well, you got to take away the sacredness of human life. You understand that? So you start getting rid of your own human life before it's born. Yeah? And then folk accept that part of Now you end up in the elderly Now we've got euthanasia for them now And what's next? Well, guess what? What's your cri- Oh, I see you're non-essential here How old are you? It doesn't matter about your age anymore You're just non-essential Back to better and Russell Useless eater, right? Eh? So the checkout counter for teenagers Quite easy to do How do you create mass promiscuity? Knowing they'll never bond with a person for long Is it almost impossible? You know, After a time and, and then you promote it as normal culture. When it becomes normal, you know, everybody's doing it. Then that's what they said to do. And, and uh, H.G. Wells talked about it too, you know. Different techniques to get folk to, to, to practice promiscuity to end marriage. He was all, he belonged in the late 1800s, H.G. Wells. That's where they picked him up initially and used him as a front man. And for, for free love, you know, he's writing about free love in the late 1800s. Well, as a consequence to free love, there was no welfare system there, folks. And so on and so on, yeah. So, again, you've got, you know, create promiscuity. Here's the, what is it? Every young, every teenager has got their hormones jumping. Nature wants it to have its way, you know. And so, it's like the, the child and the, you know, here's the checkout counter and he's all the candy. You tell them to go ahead and do it all. Through media, mainly through television at the time, and uh, 1960s, leading up to it in the 1950s, but 1960s, and away you, you go. Give them a pop music, tell them it's their generation and no one can hold them back. Give them the music, give them the Bob Dylans, you know, talking, and then, you know, there's going to be a revolution and so on. And tell the parents, don't stand in the doorway, don't stand in the hall, you know. For the times they are a changing, mother and father is hurt the land. Don't understand, you know. Tell me, stand in the way of their children. Now, that didn't come from little Bob Dylan. <laughs> People, are, this the beauty of reality is most folk don't live know that what they're living through isn't reality. It's a plan. As I've said before, from Plato's time on, anything to do with culture, music, and plays, and so on, had to be vetted by the establishment. And Plato talked about it. 
Plato wanted even musicians to be licensed as well as the actors, you see. But I think they already did with a lot of the acting troops and so on that did their rounds through all the Grecian islands and all that with the same, same authorised plays. They knew what, how, how you could upturn society, overthrow it through a revolution by using music, for instance. Works every time. But the last folk that know it are the ones who are living through it in every generation. Quite something, eh? But yeah, you're the child in the candy store. Out came the miniskirts. And um, even in winter, for goodness in cold countries, these women shivering, wearing plastic skirts and plastic jackets and plastic boots. H.G. Uh, Wells also said, you know, it'd be, it'd be, for World War One, as he's promoting World War One, it's a propagandist for the British establishment. And he said the same thing about uh, getting all the women into the munitions factories and all the other factories as the men are off getting, you know, fighting and getting killed and so on. And he said, uh, he says, they're more prone then to have affairs with men at work because of being pro- close proximity with them. And even if their husbands come back from war, they can stay in these factories. And this was the whole idea of getting women out to work, apart from doubling the tax base which for the establishment, which of course it was too. It was also, he said, that if eight hours at work with another with other men is more than they'll have at home with their, with their own husband in the evening. And now, at least awake. <laughs> and uh, he says affairs will take place, and that will also help to, to, to dissolve the family, the, the unit in marriage as well. Nothing happens by itself. All authorized from the top. All. Yeah. If nothing was authorized from the top, you'd have seen kings and queens and all the big figures at the top come out speaking against it. None of them did. That gives you another clue it was all authorized, you see. <laughs> so, yeah, you're living through amazing agendas, and most folk have no idea. They have no idea at all. And under the guise of crisis, war scenarios, they can ram through all the changes which they cannot do under peacetime situations. That's what Quigley also said. I've said it so many times, it's by rope, but basically said the same thing. It says, you're more done in five years of war because the government takes over all resources, thoughts, propaganda, everything. And the people have to obey to survive. That's what they're taught. You have to obey us to survive. And you can run through all kinds of social changes, and that's the whole idea. social changes, you see. In five years of war, where it would take it's hard to do even 50 years of peace and propaganda. So that's why they're using COVID right now, they restructure the whole society and the world. And you're all being trained at every possible step as to your own place in this society now. And you've yet to experience, by the way, because they're going to get worse before they get better, you might say. <laughs> but the, and I mean by forcing things upon the public. They've already got the techniques for stigmatization of segments of society who won't go along with what's happening. You demonize them. And when you demonize people to the rest of society under this kind of you know, terror system, 
And folk are being terrorized by the incredible daily propaganda that's deliberately spouted out there and exaggerated, by the way. I'll touch on that that night as well. And then you'll see the, the weird things happening within. And then you'll also see the players in society that are put out by the authorities to give you halfway, almost fictitious representations of people who are protesting something. They, they, there's ones I saw, just, it's, it's probably a coincidence, but this week, or last, yeah, this week past, someone came out in Canada coming into an airport. It was a stage thing because there was, there was cameras already there. To, if you see the guy coming, he wouldn't wear a mask, he wouldn't take a swab test, and he said he couldn't be restrained and kept or put off for quarantine, he said, against the Charter of Rights. And um, I think you can actually look it up on, on Rebel Media, or one of these organizations, where the guy who, who has had publicity before said that the police, even after the cameras were off, shook hands with them and the whole thing. They were kind of all for them and all. And I, I, I'm still got my mind trying to wrap my mind around it. You know, okay, we know it was, state, it was staged. The cameras are waiting for them, the whole thing. It was for publicity. Because everything now is a reality show, and you've got to remember that too. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it was fake or anything like that. I'm just saying everything's kind of staged in this day and age. And then you saw it in the same week, and I'm, I might put that clip up too, the reactions of security personnel in a Canadian tire, the big store in Canada, in Burnaby, BC, I think it was, of a, a man, I don't know if he was known before, it makes no difference if he was known before for 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 being an anti-vaxxer or anti-masker, at least, you know, I hate even these terms, because these are meant to stigmatize people, and that's what you use in a war, is you demonize an enemy before you annihilate them. But they've so demonized people before already, right, with the pro- incessant propaganda, you'll see these security guards going up to the guy who wasn't wearing a mask. You actually see them, at least in the bit, you see them, that's all the, the footage or whatever, but you do see one of them striking out towards this fella. They try to see the guy punch them first, but you see them striking out at the fella. And the guy putting his hands up and, you know, like you may defend yourself. So you don't need to know that part of it. But the fact is one of them jumped behind him and got him down almost on his knees, you know. And he was using a judo hold, which is a true, a true stranglehold. The word is stranglehold, you know. It's not just a chokehold, it strangles you. And in judo, you would know what to do, because if you, you can't get, can get out of it, you know, uh, then you've got to tap the mat or tap, you know, a person or whatever, or just tap something, and that's because it's, it's, it's actually a contest. In real life, you use it to kill somebody. And you'll see this guy's face turning dark red, almost purple. And to see that happening in Canada, because a guy didn't have a mask on, I don't care what else you think of the fella, or what he's done or hasn't done, I don't know any of them. But the fact is, even the cops would be tried for that. But they've got security guards now doing it. And doing it, and, and you'll see them slacking off a bit when, when they realize someone's actually filming them <laughs> with a camera. They're doing, they're doing something to a man. You, you saw Mr. Floyd in the States getting it, you know, when, when he was getting, he died, you know. He said, I can't breathe. He, this guy shouts, I can't breathe too. Well, where's the riots for this guy's rights? But the, this is what the, what the government has done to demonize a, one man who, who, who is not wearing a mask, 
right? Do you realize what's happening? Do you realize, folks, what's happening here? I don't care what's, you, you always pick sides. You don't see what's really going on here. Forget the sides. You're seeing the effects of psychological warfare on people who will not comply. Where other folks see them as a threat to, to the rest and they're willing to use lethal force against them. That hole they use there, by the way, you, you, is, most folk can't get out of it. And once you're down and the person's partly above you as well, you try to stand up, it, it chokes you even further. But it also can damage. And you can actually, from, from that chokehold, if you've ever studied judo and so on, you can break that neck, you can snap that neck like a twig. You can get permanent damage from it. I couldn't believe that I could actually, they're actually doing this now because they think they've got a right to do it against someone not wearing a mask. All from the media campaigns to turn society against people who won't comply. Now, we already saw the same kind of thing happening, I've said before, out in um, New Brunswick, I think it was a couple... Went to the pharmacy. They didn't get strangled or anything, but but the, but the, the manageress called the police in because they, they weren't wearing masks. But they couldn't wear masks because of medical conditions. No one cares about medical conditions because you're old now. You see, the old folk are supposed to die now. That's that's Canada. You know, this is this is a country where we euthanize folk now. They give you the option. So all the techniques are being used that you'd use in a war scenario. The same techniques that were put out against people who would not go into world wars like World War I. Make them appear like they're cowards and get everyone to turn their backs on them and put a white feather in your cap if you knew them. And, you know. Same techniques. It's quite easy to get the people to turn into a mob against whoever the government wants to turn against, you know. Quite simple, isn't it? In this case, your governments are becoming the biggest terrorists on the planet, at least in your own country, when they're promoting this and using techniques to terrorize the public, getting the public to turn against other members of the public. And you, as I say, you'll vote for them again, won't you? Oh. But at least if nothing else, that one in, in um, Burnaby, B.C., I think that the, the RCMP are supposed to at least have got all the footage, or some footage anyway, from cameras in it, including the camera. Luckily, the person who, photo, who took the film of it in their camera, and I guess posted it up on, I don't know if it was YouTube, but BitChute has got it too. And uh, at least they can't completely squash it, because if those guys get off doing what they did there, and the store, by the way... <laughs> This guy has got a fantastic lawsuit waiting, I'm sure of it, if he just goes ahead and does it. You know? If he can keep his cool, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When you can get lawfully strangled almost to death because you don't have a mask on your face. Is that the highest crime there is now? That warrants a death penalty by the person doing the strangulation? Something's wrong here, <laughs> and I'm, uh, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, folks. 
you're seeing terrible things happening. But that, these are the techniques that see that they've used against dissenters and conscientious objectors against the, their previous world wars. When you go off to fight for your country, and as Winston Churchill said, for your culture and your way of life and defend your freedoms, only once you supposedly win the war, you end up bankrupt, paying your up for generations, paying off the debt forever, and they open the floodgates to people who have nothing to do with your culture deliberately to do that. You're lied at every step of the way with the characters who run the world. And again, this is the same club that created the British Empire and created, took over the US as well, passed on the baton, as they said at the time. Like the CIA, I mean, the CIA is, is part of the, the real deep state that runs the world, part of it. There's, there's no agency that cannot be part of it. The very fact they're not against each other <laughs> tells you this, they're all one, you see. And the true money wizards, the wizards of money, the ones who really control it at the top, are the ones who, who put forth the Bill Gates and uh, the Zuckerbergs and the rest of them, who you thought, well, he's just giving you a platform to chat. Well, no, no, now you've got the platform to censor and to retrain you in what you can and can't say. And that's, that's what it was to be from the beginning, before you even got it unrolled for you to use. Years ago, the United Nations said we shall train the public to self-police their speech, their thoughts, everything. I'm talking like 30, 40 years ago. How do you think they're going to do that? <laughs> Remember folks, cutting through the matrix.com, send a few bucks my way, and you'll find out how to do it. PayPal's fine, eCash is fine, personal checks. And as long as we can get uh, out of lockdowns once in a while, we can, I can get even moneygram, I think. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you'll find ways to do it if you want to, and to help me tick along, because nothing's backing me, believe you me, except the people. Nothing at all. I don't belong to any organizations. And I'm not a front. And they do give your mouthpieces. They, they've, they've almost given your main mouthpieces and your leaders the techniques I've, I've talked about for psychological warfare operations across the world sometimes take 20 years, sometimes 25 to 30 years of putting in their own front people as newspaper people and then putting bloggers out in this day and age in other countries before they overthrow the nations and involved and so on. This is from their own writings at the military level. Now they're using them all on you. And you've got a plethora of, of all kinds of bloggers suddenly coming out there, all getting supposedly top ratings. You can't really believe that. But the rating system is all nonsense anyway. It's a joke. They create ratings. It's all fictitious. And it has been for years. <laughs> because just like polls, folk go along with the bigger numbers. You know, Well, if 90% are going to vote for so-and-so, I think you'll vote for them too. It's the same thing with uh, the rating game, you know. Same characters behind it, yeah. The bigger number, well, it must, it must be really good if they get that. Who's kidding who? Think for yourselves. It's a hard thing, you know, thinking for yourself. So uh, when you're overloaded with data, again, cut a lot of the data out and start thinking. 
So cuttingthroughthematrix.com, as I say, and by the way, um, I've got some books and so on posted off there because we're out of temporary lockdown or te- semi what can you say? It's not. It's a permanent lockdown with little interludes in between it. It's to go on for at least seven more years, at least. And they'll, and they'll play that out too, depending if they've achieved most of their change of society objectives, you see. Because what has to come out at the end of it is nothing like you ever had before. Fauci said this last year in the spring. Everything was to happen, he said it. Oh, it's never going to go back to normal, he said. What part of that didn't you believe? <laughs> it wasn't because it had anything to do with medicine. It's because he's in on the script. He's got CIA clearance. He's got, you can't work with the, the, the biowarfare labs in the States, including the military ones. And don't forget, he's an overseer on the board of the, of the military one, without being in the CIA. The real deep state that runs America, the organization, uh, with all this, a parallel government that's bigger than the government, because it's also parallel government over parts of the world. Totally merged with MI6. The British folk used to scratch their heads, and what on earth is MI6 up to? Because they couldn't fathom, when things would leak into the papers about overthrowing nations, and they could say, okay, it's just because there was some bigwig in Britain wants to take over the uranium business in the Congo or something, they would, they would do all these kind of dirty deals. And, but it's much, much bigger than that. Same with the CIA. Americans can never, yeah, they'll always overthrow countries to take over their minerals and so on, so the American companies can get it. But these American companies are all part of a, a, a separate, they're, they're separate entities from the country. They're international corporations, big, big, big corporations. It's just astonishing to, to, to folk don't even know. I mean, the, the CIA, I think, were first uncovered overthrowing one of their first, their early countries. I don't know if it was the first one, but it was one of them. It was in Zaire, I think it was where they got a president of Zaire elected, a prime minister, and he had a great idea of eventually having a, a United Nations building set up. He was all enthusiastic for the African nations, you see. And he started giving rights to the people, and, and um, if you're going to tax the people, you should get something back for the taxing. And of course they call that socialism. And they weren't happy in the West. And I think Zaire at that time, I'm sure it was Zaire, uh, was, had large bauxite reserves. You know, that's the raw material that they make aluminum from. Aluminium, they say in Britain, but aluminum in America. And uh, so they, over, they, 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 got, they got the companies, they, one of the companies of this, in the U.S. that made uh, the, finish, or got the, the finished products of aluminum and actually had businesses in there, were afraid that they might nationalize the business over in Zaire. So they got the U.S. to, to instigate an, an overthrow of this, this leader, which they did, you know. Then they boasted about it years later. They, all, they do love to boast about it. But uh, it's the same organization that, that ensures that if, if any of their top members, their international corporate members, thinks they might lose money across the world, they, they'll make sure they overthrow uh, whatever country it happens to be, they have, they have no qualms about it. Well, I shouldn't say whatever, there's certain ones that are part of them. Because they're an interna- international body now, really. 
Again, that's a different story and another story, but um, you, get the, you get the drift of all. You can't have a, a system that, that openly declared itself, a, and it was declared within the U.S. Congress at one point, a parallel government that's not answerable to any politician to even find out what they're up to. How can you possibly have that and claim that you've got a free nation of we the people, for the people? Well, you've got this other gang that's a completely different agenda and drags you off and creates wars, international wars, that gets, gets you into them, which further weaken you at home because you're paying for all. And like all wars, you get changed within society, within the, the cultural time of the war too. The cultural changes, I should say, happen within the length of the war until you're a different country when you emerge from it. Look at Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam was pretty well a staged thing. It didn't. It wasn't over there really. I don't think to to, to achieve any lasting victory. It certainly created a massive hole in the budget, and and it added to the massive debt that already existed from World War Two and the Korean War. But it was a huge test as well to change society back home. Because at least society back home said, what on earth are we fighting over there for? What's that got to do with us? And more so, and I said, well, you know, here's the, the people who really fall for it. Well, it's because they're fighting communism. The communists were all through your government. At home. You'll find too, it came out again from Carl Quigley. He was talking about the different anti-American purges that were having back in the States. And they were having the different hearings on, on the, into the State Department, you see. That appeared to be so communistic in some senses as well. And also that had the Rees Commission, I mentioned it before Norman Dodds came out and he talked about visiting the heads of the philanthropic, like the Bill Gates type today, you know, but back then it was Ford Carnegie and different ones at the time. And why they were promoting what seemed to be communist non-governmental organizations across the world and at home. That was an inquiry that the Congress had set them up to do in the Senate. An actual inquiry. And, and Norman Dodds, you, you, you can actually see the video yet where he talks about it. said that when he talked to the head of the Ford Foundation at the time, the Philanthropic, philanthropic by Joke Foundation, it's a tax-free foundation. It's the investments, and they don't pay taxes on it. Billions of dollars invested and so on. But they, they give it out, you see, to, to their armies of non-governmental organizations, all kinds, of across the whole world. And the head of the Ford Foundation says to Norman Dodge, he says, uh, he says our job is to eventually to seamlessly blend uh, and merge the two systems of the Russian with, with, with uh, American Western values and capitalism, merge the two together. And, of course... The concept just blew them away. Who authorized this? This, these weren't, this, was, this wasn't a wee tin can collection agency with a tin can in the street. These were the top corporate leaders all, all working with these foundations and their corporations. Eh? 
make, to make it happen. Well, were the American people asked about this? No. Have they ever been asked about all the changes that happened in societies? No. But they're part of the real deep states that runs the world. Of course they are. And quickly said, we're, all, we're often confused when they're talking about the, uh, the, the un-American inquiries and so on. To do with the State Department and so on. That got on even in McCarthy's era. He said, we're often mistaken as communists, for being communists, he says. Because our goals, this is a world, he's talking about a world system that runs, really runs things. Doesn't want to run things, that does run things and has run things, you see. It's already there. And he said, he said, we're often mistaken for the communists because our goals and their techniques that we use are so similar. They're almost the same. They've ch- they chose a long time ago that socialism, let's use this term socialism, <laughs> is far more effective. The same as um, Trudeau in Canada admires communists, and he's out, up there, on, you can see on YouTube, and Butch, he, he says that to an audience, that he really admires the communist dictatorship because they don't have to bother about human rights and the rights of the people, and so they just tell them what to do, and it's done. Very, very efficient and quick, you see. Uh, and that's what they, ch- they chose a long time ago. Well, how do you make, how do you train a... Think back to Fauci, what he said on t- when he's on television. The clip is up there, on, again, on BitChute, yeah, on YouTube, where Fauci was, he was on some TV program, and he was asked about how he could push the agendas forward to make Americans comply with social distancing and not going to work and all that kind of And he says, well, he says, we did think, just like Ferguson in Britain, he says, we did think it'd be harder to do it with the West. He says, push the same kind of techniques with using China on, the, on American people with rights and so on. But he says, sometimes you should just sit back. Maybe Americans should just sit back and forget their rights, he said, and just do what they're told. That's what he's... This is Fauci. This is not American terminal. This is not even British terminal. This is the new system, folks, of the deep state. Post-human rights as such. Post-charter of rights. Post-bill of rights in America. This is what they're telling you. The scientific dictatorship that Bertrand Russell was all for. It was always the goal. We'll run it better, but no, this human rights are too, too untidy. They want uniformity in everything from themselves, you see. Now, the elite that sometimes destroy what they claim is socialism in countries where, again, the money that's taken from people in taxes and so on sometimes goes back to the different programs to help them out, too. It's also used by those who own the deep state at times. They go back and forth, you see, and this is how they run it. I, was, I gave these talks years ago, mind you, because I know it's growing up in Britain that they'd privatise all, the, all the, the big infrastructure once in a while. they say, oh, it's just inefficient, it's just too expensive, far more efficient if it was privatised. So they had companies that ran... The big gas units at the time in Britain that had coal gas at one point is putting big tanks. Every town had them, every city had them. Before they got the natural gas, they called natural gas or North Sea gas coming in. So he's got coal gas and had since the 1800s. And so they, they privatised them off, you see. 
uh, when when they were all working fine and, and well maintained and, and refurbished etc. Same with the with uh, the railroads, that was a very popular one, and so they'd when they, when they were run down, you see, and after being privatised, they'd nas- they'd re- nationalise them again, and then the public money would all their tax money would go into refurbishing the tracks and the trains and and other equipments and so on, and that would last a few years. And they say, oh, well, it's socialism, it's socialism, you see. And, and, uh, but then again, they say, that's inefficient again. They're trying to privatise, so they privatise. They sell offer for, for, for a few bucks, you know, a few pounds. And, and then, and of course, the private guys would run into the ground again. This went back and forth like tennis balls, you know, on a court. And that's how they did it. It's, it's a con game, folks. It's a true con. You really think you outsmart them, or you've won once in a while. Oh, we we got in some some rights for the people here, and really for how long? <laughs> You're just amazing to watch this your whole life long. And all the other countries did the same kind of thing, you know. You always you're taught that you're winning, and they'll give you front people for the for the for what you think are your sides. You know, we're going to. I'm a politician now, and I'm going to make sure that people have the right to desserts and so on. And nothing happens, as you well know. Money is squandered off in different areas. In fact, that never mentioned, and that's how it works. There's a deep state, no doubt about it, folks, and they have some of the best teams and massive teams, layers of them of psychologists and behaviourists working for them who know exactly how to con you and manipulate you and lead you up the garden path, you know. It's the same with very good intelligence agencies. The, the, the person who knows nothing about intelligence agencies really thinks that they have a different idea of what they really are like and how they operate. And they think of them as either there to really protect them and defend them. I don't know what gives them the idea, unless it's just movies. But intelligence agencies don't go after things to destroy things generally inside their own country. They they watch what's happening like a like a some it's like a spider standing outside a web watching what happens and what comes onto its web and what's trying to traverse along the strands of the web or make make it stuck, make it free itself and start walking. It studies them, you know. And that's what they do. They study the people. And the first thing is not to eliminate them. They might want to do that in a different way. But how can we use them? That's the easiest way to do it. How can we use this movement or this group or this whatever? Or this 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 emotion even. It could be an retaliatory emotion because of something. How can we use them, you see? In fact, they can be very encouraging. They realize it can be in their interest to use it and encourage the, the whatever dissident type emotion is rising up. And they can even, even supply you with cash or the leaders, you see. And the techniques to implement it all. They might give you a whole network without you, and you'll, you'll think this is yours. <laughs> That's how they do things. And uh, they've always done that. You, know. you, you might think you're a smart ass even going to see them, and I know of people who have. And really, they're being given the runaround without, they're, they're quietly being studied and tested without knowing it generally. Because they don't just do a, a mad jump on you. And intelligence agencies, you know, they, as I say, they, they study you, and you're categorised. You're important, not important, 
maybe a nuisance or maybe not even a nuisance. They're maybe even an asset down the road, you know. That's how they study people. And I know folk who've had brushes with them in the past who's had to step away from them. And afterwards they realise what it was about, you know, what was going on. And they're all tricks that they'll play with you as well. They do play tricks with you. One of them that I know uh, he did go into MI5 at one point uh, to, because of some little, I wouldn't call it a trouble he was in. It was a bit of, it was a bit of mischief, put it that way. And uh, eventually they had asked him to come down to London and had the plane ready, you know, ticket ready, the whole thing. And and uh, the, the whole idea is to study you on the way down to see what you drink and so on. You've been studied the whole way, even, even in a, a regular aircraft. And then, of course, you end up in a pub. The a person you have to meet is to meet in the pub, and then they, they order what you had in the plane. Of course, you say, how did they know that? And they sort of throw you off here and there to, to make them seem absolutely superhuman in a sense. But most folk who work in these agencies are, are basically psychopathic personalities. And years ago, they had a TV drama. Someone sent it to me. It was a, it was um, a simulation using real people, going through techniques of how they recruit people for, say, MI5. And, they, of course, they put out their, their advertisements for probably on TV. I don't know how they did it. But uh, they'd give them little tests, you see, and they'd say to a group of them, um, your job is to get in that, see that building up there. You, you, there's a woman who lives in that building and, and whatever floor it was, an apartment and so on. You have to get up there and find a way to get in to her place and get through the back, right, to the, the back of the building, go through her, her apartment, go through the back room and into the veranda at the back side of the building and we'll photograph you there, wave to us, and you've succeeded, you see. And they showed you a few, uh, the different techniques different people tried to get into their house and saying that they were this or that to get permission to get in, and constantly being denied. And it was one guy uh, who did the right approach. He came with a little, a little briefcase or something, and his technique was you'd won something. Can you believe it? All I have to do is fill in a questionnaire. It got invited in, and... Uh, had some some things drafted up already and photocopied, and of course you signed them. And they just went in the bank and said, that's a nice view, waved a hand, and, and he won. But, but they're psychopaths, you see. They'll cheat and lie to do whatever it is with the general public. And they were testing this out on real members of the general public. This is what they do. Other things they'll do, of course, are attach little tracking devices and to underside the cars and things like that without being seen and, or caught. And, but, uh, this, yeah, they test them, these people out on the general public. That's how they're trained. Nothing like what you think about it. I remember two years and years ago reading about the Blake case. I think it was Blake in Britain, who was a spy, one of the, the spies, the, 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 the Cambridge Five, or was, I think it was a five-member team. But this guy came in late to the group, and, and eventually he was caught and they put him in the same prison that um, Julian Assange, I think, is in now, same one. And it was being renovated at one point, and they put him in to the part that was being renovated that had literally security problems at the time. And that's, that's not by accident. And that's what I clued into years ago and early on. 
And it was one of the Redgrave family that ran the left-wing communist group in London at the time. They arranged for his escape, and they got ladders up there and and got him out. So now you, you can't get these guys out without the, without the complicity of the government. They were letting them go, you see, obviously. Because even what's, the Cold War was nothing like they told you it was at one level. On one level, a lot of folk really did die in the, the Cold War games that went on. But on another level, a higher level, uh, it was all planned with a higher level of organization. And also, with both sides participating in it. You know. There's no doubt about it. You know. Most of your reality is fake. <laughs> it takes you a long time sometimes to realize that. But it's like when you look at uh, Philby. Philby, Kim Philby, he, he had the same traits that they all had, like they mentioned too in and, and, uh, Blade and the Feather, the movie by Potter. Where at the end they said, you know, do you know that all of the spies, all of the ones who worked for the Soviet Union, all of them that were double agents in Britain that worked for the Soviets, he says, they all came from our class. He says, all of them, without exception, our class. All from the upper class. But Philby, the same kind of thing, he... At one point, he, he was working in, in Britain where they, 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 they did send in operators into the Soviet Union by different means and different techniques. And he'd know who they were because he'd sit on the planning meetings. And then the joke was he'd go out the back door and tell the, 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 the agents waiting for him from Russia who they were, where they would be found and where they'd land and all the rest of it. And they, they'd catch them. This happened over and over again. This, this really did happen. And they got off with it and let him go off there too to Russia. Same kind of thing. This is, you've got to understand there's a bigger game going on and it's not what you're told it is. It's very much like COVID. They have, they have to have some kind of real scenario, at least some credence to something on some level, right, to make you believe in it. But on a higher level, it's a much bigger organization with a bigger agenda at work, obviously. Because they, they, could, they couldn't have po- they could have picked another coronavirus like the common cold, but we'd laugh at it. It had to be something that was new to terrify us. Say, oh, it's new, but a bigger agenda works. Same with the Cold War. Different levels of realities for different people, you see. And for the bulk of the population, oh, they're, they're saving us from a complete annihilation. That's what you were told. And the guys who were going to get sent off in the other countries, the lot that lost their lives, were being turned in by the very agencies on a higher level, the same agency that, that was sending them out. And I could go on and on, but I won't about that, but uh, it's a, a huge, huge story involved, years of story involved, not many, many years. And that went on. Now, cracks are appearing in the big agenda on right now with COVID, but they're not unexpected. Every stage has been planned, including kickback against different parts of the agenda. And again, even back in 2010, the exercises they did then about it, uh, they expected it. We're we're following the script to the letter and the responses to different things. And so 
they will not back off until it's a massive pushback. If it's a massive pushback, they said in lockstep that they would they would have to start backing off to an extent. But in the meantime, what they'll do again is, I said this last year, last spring, I said they'll, they'll lock you down, give a little bit of break here and there and lock you down again and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they'll, they'll spread it. It's like rotating lockdowns. Nothing to do with reality. We'll try it here, there. It's all pre-planned, you know. And uh, so we'll, we'll do a spot lockdown in this county or this area and then let them free for a day or two and then back and forth across the world even. Nothing to do with reality at all. Because most folk remember, they've, they've already told you the beginning of it, uh, had no symptoms of it. And, of course, if you kept testing them, they'd be over it because you've got antibodies. You, d- you developed them yourselves. That's what your immune system does. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> Without it, you see, we wouldn't have got out of the caves. In fact, we wouldn't have gotten as far as the caves. So... Yeah, but you're supposed to think you never had any any resistance to anything in your life before. So, you know, um, they lock you all down and stop your businesses. The, the very things, the very techniques of war that they wish they could have done in previous wars, they've done with this one. They couldn't have locked down society and destroyed their businesses and forbidden them not to go to work in any time past. This is all new, forbidding you to go and work for a living, for your own living, eh? Mm-mm-mm. For something they tell you, most of the folk get, they'll have no symptoms and then they'll get over it with antibodies. It doesn't make any sense, does it? So when things don't make sense, there's always a bigger agenda, on, and a different, definitely a different agenda on the go behind it all. Of course there is. Of course there is. And it isn't just greed for pharma. It's pharma, I'll do a lot more, I think, than just greed if, with, with what's going to happen here. But um, it's astonishing to live through it and witness it all happening, like their tabletop exercises with Johns Hopkins and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations and Bloomberg and all the other groups who were involved in planning all of the, the tests if this ever happened. Over the many, many, many years, the same agenda, same agenda. And with Mr. Klaus Schwab in attending, so what did he have to do with anything? Because, you see, he's part of the agenda, the deep state. You, know? you think all your lives have been free and, and that you just decide for your, how things are going, where it's going to go, where you're going to go. No, you don't. <laughs> no way. I tell you. And he dresses, Mr. Mr. You know, Klaus Schwab also dresses like the character that played the, the head, the organizer of the, the Freemasons of the air, the, the private club that ran the world and things to come. He plays the main character with the same outfit on, you know, with the big wide shoulders on it and so on, with the dress. It's astonishing. I guess I must have really impressed him, that old movie, eh? And he must really think he is going to go to the, at least his offsprings will go to the stars, because that was also in the movie. They gave you, they gave you little glimpses into eugenics in it, you see. That there's the same descendants of the same elite of the Freemasons of the air that brought them into the future society. And of course, they used the same actors to make sure you got that, that, that point. And I think it was that Raymond Massey was the, was the main actor. And, and then his children realized that the masses that were left for Borstead were going to overthrow them, were going to stop them progressing to the next level to go out and conquer the stars. 
And so there was a spaceship built, and his son and and relatives that were going to go, or the youngsters were going to go off into space to try and conquer that too, you see, and make sure that they survived when they, that they may be fallen apart back in Earth because of the general public that were the, well, they were the useless eaters, weren't they? Hmm. <laughs> I tell you, it never changes, eh? Never changes. Interestingly enough, too, you know, it's, it's always been the same planets that they talk about, like um, War of the Worlds and things like that. It's always out from Mars. It's always Mars, isn't it? That's always been the, the red planet, the planet of war, you see, because their techniques are war. It's all analogies, in a sense, you see. And you, you find that they're all talking about the canals on Mars, the canals, you know. But the canal too, the meaning of a canal too is a, is a way, you see. It's, a, it's not just a chamber or a pathway, it's a way. It's a way and a path. It's a direction. And so it's the way of war, you see. You, you get things by the way of war, for those who don't know it. And um, the god of war is also the god of merchants, mercenaries, merc, you know. Mercury as well, of course. I should say, is, is Mercury, is merchants and mercenaries. Same thing, you know. So you Mars and Mercury, they all have different uh, purposes and, and, and meanings. And hidden from the general public, of course. Yeah. I was going to say there too, maybe Pluto, <laughs> maybe Pluto is what they had hoped would bring you global warming. And then go back to an ice age, you know. Back and forth, there's a planet that supposedly goes very, very hot and really freezing. Because it was such a wide orbit. But uh, you can make a little joke on that one for sure. But it's interesting with Mercury, isn't it? With, with uh, the, again, merchants are always tied up with mercenaries because it's warfare. They use warfare, like the military-industrial complex. is completely, completely, it always has been completely tied in with the money book characters, the banks, ancient to modern. It's always the same thing. And you have to always remember, too, that in ancient Greece, in the temples of Diana, I think it was, the, 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 the coin makers, for gold or silver mainly at that time, literally um, had their wares come out of the, in the temple. They had their big exchange place in the temple. You find the same thing in uh, some of the temples that they had in, in ancient Israel. They had them outside the temples because you couldn't take foreign currency into the temple. It was unclean, and so you had to have your own currency, so you had to exchange an exchange rate basically place outside of it, or just inside the entrance. Sometimes they go inside, and of course that's from the New Testament where they have Jesus chasing out the moneylenders from the temple. Because it made profits out of it. But yeah, religion was heavily involved in ancient countries and ancient times with financing and finances. And what used to be called, well, we call them today banks. Now, again, some of the articles I've saved, and again, I don't want to overload people with articles. I generally don't go along with all the popular stuff. Because it's all, it's all popular stuff, too. It's a lot of emotional stuff that you supposed to jump on the bandwagon with and, and get all angst about it, etc. And just stand back and look at the, it coolly, because that's how you see 
the, or what you'll, you'll see the real reasons behind things and why they want this and why they want that and so on. All the other stuff is churned out by the bucket load for to divert you, you see. A lot, a lot of trivia that you'll never remember anyway. It's, it's just so unimportant. There's stuff about Madonna. This, I mean, who cares? Who cares about whoever, whoever, whoever? Nothing to do with reality, you know. So here's the one. I'll put one up. And again, it's our old friend, you know, Helena Handbasket, you know, but from Ireland. And it's um, Irish News and Irish Sentinel. It, it goes into, this is um, an open letter to appeal to our Garda. Garda over there is the police, you know, and armed forces in Ireland. And it says... Uh, in these extraordinary times, we've seen some incredibly worrying scenes play out before our very eyes. It's true, we've all had some serious challenges rolled out before us from our elderly um, who've been imprisoned in hospices to frontline workers who've been told they have to risk their lives, you know, to the children locked up in the bedrooms and tuned into online schooling, devoid of any human contact with extended family, and kept away from their friends at the most crucial stage of their development. But after we, we have uh, we've broken the year mark of lockdown cycles, can we look to the effects on society or, uh, of these of draconian measures that they've been through? Can we have the conversation? Is that still allowed? And are we going to find ourselves censored or classed as anti-this or anti-that? Because you see, the intelligence agencies working out all these strategies with the terms too. You smear you, you know, demonize an enemy. You see, and it's just a, a conspiracy theorist. Uh, that, that's what they call you as well. Uh, what world have we woken up into? If we we're asking a question against about a government, um, could get you in trouble. They say, yes, it's the state part of this missing there. But it gives you a, a, a link to another um, article. It's called the, the Government of Ireland Company, uh, profile Dublin, Ireland, and um, competitors' financial and contacts done in Bradstreet. And, uh, and it gives you the link to it. And it, this, is, this is a company dis- description for the government. Eh? <laughs> uh, governments are corporations, you know, that eh? they're registered as, as like businesses, corporations. Eh? So is your police, by the way, your local police, even in Canada. When you look into them, they're, they're under corporations. And it says that... Uh, the company description says the Government of Ireland is located in Dublin, Ireland. As part of the government industry, the Government of Ireland has 10 employees of this location and generates $1.19 million in sales. That's US. And there are 586 companies in the Government of Ireland corporate family. And it says, and if we cannot question the government, why can we not question government policy? And how does this somehow put you into some fringe element of society? Indeed, one that seems to be moving uh, ever more closely to making you a domestic terrorist. Next thing you'll be telling me, there are internment camps for this type of individual. Underneath that, by the way, these are all links. The government island one is two, the company. And this one about uh, the next next thing you'll tell me, there are internment camps for this type of individual. And it gives you the sundayworld.com, Irish News. Three army camps to turn into isolation centres for COVID-19 patients. Hmm? And that says, in recent days, we've seen some outrageous behaviour from the Garda with their handling of the Irish public. 
in Balbriggan on Wednesday, 24 February, a beauty salon owner, just very much like the ones in the States and Canada as well. Christine McTiernan reopened her store in a basic last chance effort to survive and pay her never-ending cycles of bills, including those payable to government agents which haven't stopped during the lockdown. There was little or no government support for her to ease up on this burden, and she felt she had no choice. So in the article, the actual link to that article is here as well. What transpired was beyond belief. An entire squadron of Gardaí turned up to arrest this one woman, to harass and arrest some people who quietly turned up to support this woman. And videos in social media show that Gardaí had taken names and bullying people to move on to ensure that this Irish lady would not succeed in simply trying to save her livelihood and that those Irish people willing to support her would not be allowed to do so either. Like the Borg say on Star uh, Trek, it was. In the series, it says, resistance is futile. I used to always say, especially with the way they pronounced it in the States, resistance is futile. <laughs> That's how they used to pronounce it. I thought it's an apt way of saying it. It's really a feudal system we're in, you see. And in, in a feudal system, the, the peasants had no rights. And it says Christine was taken into custody and then brought before Sword's courthouse and had to sign under duress a declaration not to reopen upon consequences of jail. Can you believe getting forced? It's like blackmail. Well, arrest, we'll put you in prison unless you sign this. They sign that you're not going to go to work and support yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying here? This isn't happening just in Ireland. This is your brave new world coming in, and it's not a nice one. Being forbidden to work. That's never been, no one's been forbidden to work during world wars. This is to wreck the whole of the system, to rebuild a new type of system. But not to be outdone by the Dublin branch of the Guardi, the Limerick lads were out in force against that horror of horrors in anti-terrorism, the Irish Christian funeral. A significant, significant number of people turned up. It says the armed response unit even got a chance to attend for a time. This is brilliant. Those pesky Irish and their traditions, eh? They could kill granny. Aren't they so selfish? This is, and it gives you the link to that one too. Significant number of COVID fines following large funeral in Limerick town. Mm. And however, there's an, a, another side to this when it comes to non-Irish. The Gardaí, it appears, seems to be extremely busy, or at least otherwise engaged, likely finding out where the next domestic terror attack of 11 people in a church are to attend Friday pr- prayer meetings for, and mention that the Muslim friends, you see that in Britain and in Ireland, they won't, <laughs> they'll leave the Muslims, got, they respect the Muslims, because the Muslims, the Muslims aren't going to put up with this stuff. <laughs> And so they'll, they'll keep up. And now they want to get fired. There's so many laws now, and it's even so sensitive that, that they can only go after the, the, the simple Christians, you see. Okay, okay, you know, I'll be good and I'll do what I'm told. But there are certain groups they won't touch. I said this years ago, unless you belong to a, an elevated group in society that's got special rights, you know, uh, then you have no rights at all. I said that many years ago. And all these other groups have, have uh, their own spokespeople and so on, that, that, and they just tell government where to go. <laughs> and you got to respect them. you, you got to respect the Muslim groups that they won't put up with this nonsense. 
But everybody's so terrified of losing their jobs because it's so sensitive, you see. It was the same thing in Britain during the time when all the young girls were getting recruited and putting in drugs and prostitution. Uh, they, they, for years that was going on, and the politicians, the cops, left them alone. Oh, no, I mustn't. They're all scared of losing their jobs. They've been so politically sensitive. Eh? But, uh, but no, you, you, I've got to have some respect for Muslims. So. They're, not going to, they're not going to put up with it. And the cops, they won't go near them. Mm-mm-mm. It says, after having allegedly been called 12 times to attend a clear breach of lockdown rules <laughs> at one of the mosques, eh? Black, uh, Black Pitts Mosque, where approximately 100 Muslims were observed to be together, but no guardy rushed to the scene. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe you're getting shown how what to do. <laughs> just every turn up and just say no, you know. Don't forget what they said at, again uh, that um, lockstep, the, the big lockstep organisation or, or test that they had for pandemics and what they would do in 2010 for the Rockefeller Foundation. That was part of the big scenarios of the future, you know, that they had. It was lockstep, operation, operation lockstep. And they said that this is what they'll do in the lockdowns and so on, blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't stop until the people en masse pushed back. That's what they said. And bullies will always pick the weakest group that's politically okay to harass or, or, or persecute, basically. Yeah. As I mentioned before, that guy out in Burnley, BC, I don't care what happened or what he did or, or didn't do. The fact is, if he didn't have a mask on, you don't choke a guy and, uh, with, with a deadly stranglehold for not wearing a mask. And if, if, if that had been someone like Mr. Floyd in the States there, in the, in the photograph, there'd they'd have been burnings. You, you're starting to see the, how is it okay to do it to one group but not to another? And when it happens, happens to, to, to white people, it's okay. Is that the message here? To strangle them? This is incredible what you're witnessing, and folk don't see what they're It doesn't, they don't understand what they're witnessing. A lot of them have already said, oh, I guess he was a troublemaker anyway. It's okay, strangle them, then that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they can spread that. Let's start strangling everybody who, who have, have, has their different opinion or something, you know. Is that okay then? Do you understand? You, you can't go that way, you know. But that's what the government's done with terrorizing the public, with the media. Deliberate, they actually told them to terrorize the people. Actually, I'll put these links up too, by the way, from all these different uh, things I'm talking about tonight. Here's an article that ties in exactly with the one I mentioned last year to do with ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty from the branch of the, of the, the same organization, the SAGE group, that's working in Ireland uh, to, 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 and, and literally giving tipping points to the media and what to do and how we handle this whole thing for the propaganda. Uh, this, this was out a year ago, or well, last year, in Britain, and I put up the, the links that, from some of the reporters that said this is what they told them. They said to exaggerate the stories to create more anxiety. Well, here's the Irish version from the same group, by the way, but um, they call it the Irish, um, uh, what's it called now? Irish SAG members, you know, and 
in Britain this is called the SAGE group. And so the I, I, so the Irish SAG group members in Britain and Ireland instructed to review and internalize instructions. Right, this is telling the media to look for ways to increase insecurity. This is official stuff, anxiety, and uncertainty, and to go after people and not institutions. Okay, because people hurt faster than institutions. They're talking about people who speak out. The instructions were shared to the group by Professor Anthony Staines, one of the founders of ISAG, in a note titled Notes from 2020-2002 to ISAG meeting. The note's title contains a typo. It was actually posted on the 8th of February 2021. The note reminded ISAG members of the importance of ridicule, listen to this, as man's most powerful weapon and that the threat of a thing is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. This is psychological warfare, folks. This is the same as the military. ISAG members, many of whom are regular guests in Irish media, were told that they could count on imagination to dream up many more consequences than they themselves, as the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. These instructions are based on, literally, and they are too, but it's also used by all the military, because I've got lots of it here, actually, on Saul Alinsky's book, remember, Rules for Radicals? And I've told you, these groups run all sides. Eh? Always have done. Which argues that the creation of conflict is necessary for activists to succeed, and that organizers should find or create an enemy who can be singled out, personally blamed for everything that's gone wrong with their lives and everything, and attacked and ridiculed unmercifully regardless of the chosen enemy actually bears responsibility for the things you're blaming him for. The book tells organizers to, to allow uh, no middle ground. So it's all you. And, and you can see that in the States now, who, who's responsible for being... It's actually brought down to the ethnic group of, of color, you know. As you know, you know who to hate. Hmm? But back to this one. This is, this is Ireland, remember. And this is the special um, advisory group to government, huh? Uh, based on the, the, and actually connected to the one in Britain, the SAGE group, Special Advisory Group. Uh, so it's, uh, and this is again from the military. The military is using the same techniques, you see. Interesting, a copy of Alinsky's rules was sent to the ISAG by Dr. Gabriel Scally, a Northern Irish public health physician best known in the Republic for authoring the Scally Review into a cervical check. Dr. Scally's involved with the Zero COVID Advocacy Group, Independent SAGE, that's Independent SAGE, S-A-G-E, the brown one, has made numerous comments to Irish media on the need to support the adoption of Zero COVID policies within Ireland. Independent SAGE was set up as a left-wing alternative to the Special Advisory Group for Emergencies, that's SAGE, which is advising the British government. And that was also, again, but Ferguson was also involved with too, by the way, with all these false figures. We offered Professor Staines multiple opportunities to comment on the story prior to publication, but is yet to do so. Now, that's what came out of Britain too, the same kind of wording, um, at least uh, last spring, last year, when some reporters said that this is what the, there's a handout they were given and, and how to, told to exaggerate stories to increase anxiety so the public will become uh, more anxious, to, to increase anxiety. Exactly the same as they told them here in Ireland. This is your own government's doing this. This is terrorism. 
I'll put these links up, remember, for those that want to go through them. An article here was mentioned earlier about the CIA that's part of the big, big deep state that really has nothing to do with what Americans think it is to do. Americans don't realize the CIA was set up to bring in a world society along with the British MI6 eh? and the other groups that have since merged with them all. Irrespective of what you think you'd like for the future, they'd all planned out and what kind of system it would be. Anyway, it says this article here, this is after leaving the Washington Post in 1977, Carl Bernstein spent six months looking at the relationship of the CIA and the press during the Cold War years. His 25,000-word cover story, published in Rolling Stone, October 20th, 1977, is reprinted below. I'll put that up too. It's called The CIA and the Media. How America's most powerful news media worked hand-in-glove with the Central Intelligence Agency and why the Church Committee covered it up. And it's like interesting for me because I like this kind of stuff. It's it, it, it's not going away, you know. It's always been this way. I remember way back then too. There was a big expose at about that time, probably as part of it. And they they, they 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 actually came out with some of the top members in American media. It wasn't just newspapers and television, radio, and so on. And they're all through, and also mentioned it was all through. Uh, Canada as well. It wasn't just the states. Eh? So CIA has has put their guys in, and to, it naturally makes perfect sense. Media in all countries to make sure they have uniform information. It just means truth. It just means uniform and what they want you think and believe and so on. And it's never changed. It's worse now than ever it was. And um, so this is one of them too. There's so much information on this, it's just unbelievable. But again, folk don't want to look at the past. They think it's somehow obsolete. They don't realize that no, you, you, the only way you'll find out what's happening today, because it's still going on. And then this one here. The new ad campaign urges people to keep staying at home, keep staying at home, despite the coronavirus transmission rates declining. And so Mr. Matt Hancock says he knows it's been a long year, but warns, we can't let up now, he says. Well, there you go. This has gone for years, folks. For, to bring in a whole new way of being. I won't call it living. It's not to be living. It's to be existing. I've said that many times before. And other folk have, luckily, have, have grabbed it <laughs> mentioned it too the same way. It's good. <laughs> it's good to can actually use these little tidbits. So despite the, the, the declining uh, transmission rate of COVID, the success of the vaccine rollout, <laughs> okay, and the launch of the roadmap out of lockdown, even though they've told you, eh, they keep telling you that they don't know yet what the, what the long-term effects are going to be with the vaccinations yet. Now they're telling you you probably need at least one more. I think in Israel, uh, it was the Pfizer group that was doing it. I have to check that and see. I've got an article later on to come to. But so they had two vaccinated, two of them, uh, the shots. And they're talking about a third one now, I think. Uh, so uh, this is the whole thing. This, you're, going to be a, you're going to be a pincushion for the rest of your lives, I think. For something, really, as they keep telling you, uh, it isn't uh, dangerous to most folk. And even uh, it's, it's uh, 99 point something, 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 people uh, get over it quite quite easily, you know. And then the ones who are, who are seriously damaged by it and hurt are generally very elderly. I mean, it really, the average age in one of the surveys was in their 80s in Britain. So, 
what really kills them at that age, you know. Uh, and again, there's been all cons to do with, oh, they've got COVID at the same time because of this silly little test that's so inaccurate that they've had to change the, the, their opinions on it so many times already. Also, I'll put up an article to do with band practice. This is the latest bit of insanity. You see, you've got to get used to insanity as you go through madness in order to, to, come, to, to, to actually start believing in the madness. When you, when you forget what common sense is, when you're being, you're being taught not to trust your own logic anymore, you see? This is what you've been taught. Very, very, this is psychological warfare, really, to the extreme. Not, it could get a lot worse yet, you know? But it's extreme psychological warfare to destroy everything that was, the economy, everything, and the way of living as it's always been, for at least been for a long time. To bring in the new, you see, and so here's part of it. Yeah, so you'll see these children with their, in, with their musical instruments inside these stupid tents, inside the room, right? And it's just how the return to high school looks like in Central Washington, uh, when at Chi High School. Okay. <laughs> but there you go. The, the training to, to that madness is normal. You see. And as long as you'll jump when white-coated people tell you to jump, the experts. Remember, Bertrand Russell said that they're training the people that they can't do anything without advice from experts, even the things that are quite natural. You don't realize that even when they brought out the station for 24-hour weather, who was going to, people laughed at it, who was going to watch 24-hour weather reports? But then there was no weather, and oh, even a drizzle was going to be a flood, do you see? Um, a half an inch of snow could be a massive snowstorm and, and they hyped up natural weather and to, to, to make everybody anxious about going outside. That's had an amazing effect on people, the hype. I even gave up the stories years ago from the people who created the system on weather reporting who admitted what I'm saying here. They were told to exaggerate and terrify the people to go along with climate change, to change, again, the whole sustainability agenda into the new system that they're pushing through under Schwab's uh, idea uh, was all hint they had decided that the climate change would be the, the thing they would use. And it wasn't going fast enough, we were ignoring it. So in comes COVID, eh? boom. So they terrify the weather first. Oh my goodness. Folk can't even remember generally what, from year to year what the weather was. That's how it works so well. Oh, I didn't, oh my God. It rained half an inch today. Oh, oh. So yeah, logic has to be thrown out the window. Your own ability to do, to decipher basic events and rationalize them and work them out for yourselves to be out the window. Experts must tell you what to think, okay? and you can be tested on to make sure that, that you're following the experts on every single thing. It's astonishing. Do you realize that people used to have babies before there was. A National Health Service. Can you, oh, isn't that incredible? What an amazing thing that was. And they knew how to have them. And raise them. Without experts telling them what to do. You know, It's just amazing, isn't it? Eh? How could we have survived? And again, the, the, the psychological rubbish they churn out for the people, like, oh, let's have a happy day, you know. So calls to make June 21st a bank holiday to celebrate the end of lockdown as the Brits share brilliant memes. So let's all have memes and see who's got the best memes. So this is all wartime rubbish.
spread by psyops. Eh? Uh, cooped up Brits are calling on Boris. I think they're calling Boris Johnson something else. They're not calling them to get a holiday on. Believe you me, this guy, I mean, Johnson is such a. Oh, but he always was. You know, before they made him the head guy, yeah. At least they pretended to have a head guy. Health officials push pregnant women to get COVID shots despite known risks, this article says here. It's got the Children's Health Defense Team and. In December, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted emergency use authorization. The link is here, by the way, from the FDA. Huh? Uh, to, to, so, given the authorization to two messenger RNA, that's mRNA, vaccines against COVID-19, because the, the unapproved vaccine status is investigational. For those who don't know that yet, right? It's not what they call normal legal approval is given investigational status. Anyone who gets an injection, whether realize it or not, is agreeing to participate in an ongoing experiment, it says here. Right? And the links are here. The FDA Gov Emergency Preparedness and Response, MCM Legal Regulatory and Policy Framework Emergency Use Authorization. That's what it says here. This is from the government, right? These links. This is recognizing that there are many unknowns. Many Americans have refused the experimental jab, including members of the armed forces. And that's true. I've heard it from other sources within the forces that a lot of them have said no, and their families, eh? and also healthcare workers. Eh? Because they're, they're getting a lot of information about bad reactions before most folk. <laughs> they're looking outside just the TV to find other information. It says, even without data from Pfizer or Moderna sufficient to inform vaccine-associated risks in pregnancy, expectant doctors, nurses, and others appear eager for the shots, perhaps influenced by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which states that neither a conversation with a clinician or even a pregnancy test are necessary prerequisites. It's interesting that they actually mention obstetricians and gynecologists for that, that doctor member who died after getting his shot, and his wife came out too, so he was very healthy in the whole bit. And uh, within two weeks, he was dead. He was hemorrhaging because he had no platelets, he said, when he was admitted to the hospital. His platelet rate was zero. His immune system had turned against his platelets and destroyed it. And that happens with certain vaccinations in the past, you know. So he says, do these individuals know that as of February the 12th, uh, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, as they call VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, had already received 111 reports of adverse uh, events experienced by women who were pregnant at the time of their Pfizer or Moderna injection. The links are here to these, by the way. And uh, it says, but the first report was submitted December 22, just 10 days after authorization of the Pfizer vaccine. Nearly a third, the 31% of the women, had miscarriages or preterm births, which occurred within as little as one day of injection, the majority after a single dose of vaccine. That's what gets me, the, the illegality of, for, of the press, this big uh, onboard mantra, you know, but this conglomeration of the press is really one system, really, isn't it? Otherwise, you would get all kinds of different uh, viewpoints. But no, they're all on board uh, because they're owned by the same gang, you know, of moguls. To tell you that it's safe, when the, 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 the actual <laughs> articles from the vaccine manufacturers and all the rest of it uh, t- tell you uh, that um, if we go into informed consent, this was to tell you all the adverse things that could happen to you, including death. 
And they also tell you, as I put out last week, um, of the article from the, the government of the UK, the UK's government of requisitions, where they put out contracts or tender for things to be made or things they want to buy. And one was, one was from the app to say, follow up people who had the vaccinations to, to, to find out who had adverse reactions or ongoing things that cropped up down through time for over a two-year period because it's experimental. You can't say something's safe if it, you're part of the test and experimental phase of it. You don't know yet. Otherwise, you wouldn't be t- looking for tenders for things that might happen down the road, all the different side effects. So how dare they say this is safe? This was rushed through, something it takes years to do. It was rushed through in a matter of months. This is a story. You know, the, the lying is just, the, the deception is so criminal that there will be consequences down the road. If they can't pull off this whole societal, cultural, everything change, if they can't pull it off, I tell you, there's a lot of people going to answer for what's happening because you cannot tell people to get it because it's safe. You don't know that yet. You can't split up and say, well, the first few weeks seems quite safe. Only so many folk have got adverse effects. Well, 80 odd percent of the people are getting reactions of some kind, even after the first shot, for goodness sake. And big bumps in their arms at the very least, and never mind fainting spells, syncopies, and so on. It's just astonishing what this. And but what about the long term? Never mind facial paralysis and all the host of other things. This is astonishing what this is. safe. I've got articles here too with the psychological units advising people on what to tell the public to get them to conform and accept it. Well, how about the basic truth? Read out from the, from the, 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 the actual side effects that comes with the, the, the vaccines, that comes in the packet, the boxes, eh? Read them to the general public before you get informed. Rather than try to say this is good for you, read what might happen to them. That's, that's a legal thing you're supposed to do. And then let them decide. After all, if you take the shot, it's your life. It's not the doctor here or the nurse, or anybody else they're using to give the vaccination to. It's your life. You're getting it. You are supposed to decide, after being informed, read the instructions uh, for the patients. And they're supposed to be told to the patients on the packaging with the shots. Don't just say, this is nice, this is good for you, it's going to help you. You don't need psychological units to persuade you. You take it if you just tell the people the truth and let them decide. Don't you get fed up getting treated like a child your whole life long, and then major things like this? Just just talk to them, treat them like children, make them comply, because this is what this propaganda is. Astonishing what we're witnessing, it really is. Mm-mm-mm. I tell you. Mm-mm-mm. This one also talks about Fauci, the same article here. It says that, um, bizarrely, Fauci's January comments indicated that 20,000 pregnant women had received COVID vaccines, while in subsequent remarks he halved his apparently off-the-cuff estimate to 10,000. 
His willingness to make light of potential COVID vaccine risks for pregnant women only two months into the rollout of experimental vaccines defies logic. Fauci is not only the Biden administration's chief medical advisor, but the longtime director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which holds patents and will receive royalties from the Moderna vaccine. Talk about compromised, at the very least. Mm-mm-mm. And he's also, I mean, I've got articles here from years ago where he was put in charge of, of the top uh, biowarfare military uh, laboratories as well. Do you know that as well? Eh? Aye, aye, aye. They always profit off what they do at the top, eh, don't they? Whether it's the banking or whatever it is they do when they're going to crash economies, nobody at the top eh, loses anything. In fact, they all profit from it. And anything they're going to do, they make sure they're going to, including now it's the medical industry and vaccination company, they're all profit off, off, off us, the idiots at the bottom. We are, we are products, eh? and we, we receive their products. But never in, in human history, I think, have they tried to, to tell you and force you into a system, making it almost impossible not, this is what they want to go, actually, is make it impossible not to take the jab. They won't say, well, we're forcing you to do it. You've got a decision. You can, but, if you'd, but, the, but they've already said at the WHO year, a few years ago, they can't force folk to take the vaccinations, but they can make it impossible to live in a society without it. For something that most folk get and don't even know that they've had, and now they've got antibodies to it by themselves. Come on, there's some, some bigger at work here, folks. If it doesn't make you suspicious, you know. I'll keep going back to, there's too many of you. Forbes, how to convince people to take the COVID vaccine, a lesson in leadership communication. This is one of the articles. There's a lot out there put out by different PSYOPs, you know what I'm So some countries such as the UK have already started COVID vaccination campaigns. This is December. Others such as France and US are rushing to approve one of the three leading vaccines. Well, most of the government seem confident that distributing the vaccine would be enough to bring down COVID. They will need to tackle this somehow misleading assumption that people will want to be vaccinated. Right? Both the UK and France have already announced that they won't make the vaccine compulsory, which makes this assumption even more dangerous. Oh, it's a dangerous assumption, eh? The acceptance rate for the vaccine is low and many remain to be convinced. A study published by Nature in October 2020 suggests wild differences between countries as the Russians were only 55% to report accepting a potential COVID vaccine versus 90% in China. Mm-hmm-hmm. There you go. A couple of weeks ago, a poll reported only 59% of the French population were ready to be vaccinated well in October. 63% of the Brits or 55% of the Italians were on board. By the way, you can't believe the numbers too, because they use them, as I've said before, like polls and exaggerate numbers when they want more folk to jump in. And say, well, if they're all getting, it must be okay. Yeah. So how can we explain such suspicion and those differences? Hmm. What can the social sciences literature tell us about how to communicate on the vaccine to improve acceptance? Well, I told you, what you just tell them what the benefits would be versus any possible side effects. Just be honest with them. That's all you'd have to do. And let them make their decision then. After all, as I say, it's going into their body. Each person's responsible for their own life, and it's a legality making you accept it. Do you want this? Okay, well, it's tough luck. In the hands, it's tough luck, eh? 
So the literature on practice adopt, adoption and diffusion, for example, in management and organization research, this is the little neuropsyop thing, management and organization, stress the importance of motives and mimicry. You know, mimicry is roughly good. I've just mentioned that before. Well, if so many folk are doing that, well, they must be okay. The rationality of taking the COVID vaccine. First of all, individuals need to fully understand the rationale behind taking the vaccine. Why is it important to them, specifically? And they they went to, the 65s and over are keener on the vaccine. They're most at risk. Are they really, though? And then the vaccine is likely to have a significant impact on their ability to return to everyday life. Was that good or bad? <laughs> they don't actually say it here. Badly worded, did eh? By contrast, younger individuals perceive themselves as less exposed and the incentives to take the vaccine don't counterbalance the suspicion against it. It says, here the key is to bring attention to how the vaccine could help individual citizens contribute to a safer system. So there you take it to make society safe. If you don't make it safe, you're a bad person. See, done that's how it's really going, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You're dangerous to other people. Well, they should be perfectly healthy then if they're protected by the vaccination, shouldn't they? But then again, Fauci and I said, well, they can't say it'll actually stop you getting the virus or spreading it, they said, after you get the vaccinations. That's what they said, folks. It's not me saying that. Uh-huh. It's what they say, again, it's very scientific, you know. They say that if you take the vaccine, you may you may get some protection so so that it won't give you such severe uh, symptoms. It won't still be getting it, but you might not get so severe, such severe symptoms. Well, most folk haven't had the severe symptoms anyway, you know, without getting a vaccine. Again, I don't really want to be using logic here because it's not meant to be logical, folks, you know. It's meant to be persuasive, to just obey. It says, The confusion with regards to the success rate of vaccines in the last few weeks has made this effort both more difficult and even more important. Recent study has shown that, that expectedly, a medical experts in the World Health Organization have more credibility to influence the take on the jab by contrast with politicians. Well, I don't trust the WHO either, especially since Bill Gates funds a lot of it. <laughs> the guy's got... You, you, it's, it's compromised. Everybody's compromised, folks. And Bill Gates, and again, you've got this gang that, that belongs in a James Bond movie with Klaus Schwab. And Bill Gates, you know, wanting to jab the whole planet with the vaccinations that he's involved in too, you know. They're all making money out of it. It's not philanthropy, folks. There's, there's videos up to where Bill Gates talks about the best investment he ever did was into the different vaccines and so on. You see, a 20, you get 20 to 1 return on everything. Every dollar he puts in, he gets 20 back. That was, that was years ago. Yeah? And then when he was asked at, at a meeting at Davos, you know, a private meeting, well, it was not private, it was a, it was a reporter and a TV camera, and, and they asked him about, uh, well, they said to him, well, you, you put 20 million into this campaign here and this and that campaign there and so on. And then, then the, the, luckily, the, the person actually asked a pertinent question. They said, uh, it's all your money. He says, well, no. He says, uh, he says most of the money that I give to them is, is given to him, his organization, by the budgets, for the foreign affairs budgets of different countries. So he's getting the money for nothing. Philanthropist? No, he's, he's definitely part of a big agenda. They have no doubt about it. The very big gang at the top, folks. They were already into the, the third hour here. So remember, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. 
list all my sites in case I start getting censored off more places that my, my talks go up into. And hopefully you can go into my sites and at least get my talks every Sunday night. Remember, they go out every Sunday night. And sometimes it's a couple of days before they get it up on other sites. Other people put my, my talks up. And uh, But my official sites are mine at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's a bunch of them there. Make a list of them in case I, you suddenly don't hear from me again. But if you want them earlier, again, the audio, I put it up. As I say, download it. Right-click, download and you can listen to it at your leisure and wherever you want to listen to, wherever you record it, by on your computer or your cell phone or whatever. And uh, send me a few bucks because I've got to pay for all the other sites and all the rest of it too. And I would like to get some more equipment, uh, some newer equipment for sure, because I'm using rather obsolete stuff even for doing the talks and then uploading, etc., etc., and with my own service provider, I'm living in the country, so I don't, I don't get cheap internet. I live I had satellite, and believe you me, I'm getting hammered by the authorities through slowing me down satellite-wise. And this, this actually said that in some of the articles I've found, they were to go after providers. Huh? And they, I, I guess too, technically, if you prove, you know darn well it's them that's doing it. I've, I've called the providers too, and uh, they've even told me, by the way, their excuse for, for the slow speed I was getting. I'm talking about crawling even for looking at newspaper articles. Five minutes to open a newspaper article. This is how, this is what they go. This is how they do it. You see, they, but they won't admit that they're actually doing it on purpose. But you know darn well they are. If you, if you could find they did it on purpose, then you could sue them because they're still taking money off you. And they're also taking money from the government, by the way, the big satellite companies. You know that too, they get subsidized, yeah. But gee, I really go, go, go through uh, hell at times uh, just doing what I'm doing. And it's frustrating. It's meant to be frustrating. And they have all these PSYOP units and, and cyber war units from the military. That's been in the papers. I put the articles up before. All the mainstream news had these articles up. And Global Research had them up too. And Whitney Webb from, from the mainstream had the, had the news articles up from the mainstream saying they were using their governments in Canada and the States and Britain were now using the same cyber war groups that were used against the Middle Eastern countries that are on the list. They're still taken out today. They're now using them, all the techniques on us. So you can, you, any difference of opinion or logic is to be as verboten by your democracies. So send me a few bucks my, my way, keep me going, and hopefully I can keep going and get some decent equipment too to, and find some more alternate ways of um, getting my word out there. It's very important. Because I see I'm not backed by anybody, and I haven't led people to the slaughter. I haven't guided them into riots or, or, to, or set-ups. And I'm not backed by any foreign governments either, you know. Then I could go on on about all of that side of things too, but I don't. What was the point? The fact is that uh, I tried to get information out. And this is how my information goes down through time. It's always a few people who, who, who know, get the knowledge and can pass it on. And it's up to you to, to help me just do it. Otherwise, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm off and that's it. Off the air, etc. So, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, PayPal... Personal check is fine. Send, you can send cash, you know. And um, MoneyGram still works. 
So make sure you send a few bucks my way and keep me ticking along. And believe you me, I don't, uh, I've never passed on information about anybody to any government sources. And I, I know plenty of them out there that have, <laughs> I do. And some of the biggest ones out there too, of course, I've done that. But uh, I, I, I could go on, as I say, and on and on and on, but so much that I do know, but I won't bother. Um, it's up to you to just get through this. Because really, the horror that's been inflicted upon society and humanity is overwhelming at times. And it should get you, it should at least motivate you into finding out what's happening. So that people down the road in the future, or maybe even the present, can benefit and survive against all the odds that are coming down the pike here. To show evil. This is a true, a true spiritual war here. I'm telling you, it really is spiritual. And sometimes, as I say too, I don't know when they're even really in real time interfering with my computer as well. You can you actually see them playing with you. you can do, that's what they do. Same stuff as they've done across the world, as I say, these cyber warrior groups. And I've mentioned all the different groups that are involved. They're authorized to be involved and harass their own, their own fellow citizenry. What scum they are, eh? What scum. They, they, again, they're psychopathic, obviously. Taking money and, and feeling so incredibly powerful, what, they, what they're allowed to do to other people. Playing with them. Hmm? Sadism, par excellence, eh? Authorized by our own governments. But it'll affect them, too, because they're, they're, they're all disposable themselves. They don't even get that yet. So, cuttingtroommates.com, make a list, so make, copy the links so you can always get me. And if you want me earlier, always get me on Sunday night or early Monday morning. It's up on Sunday night, and you can listen to my talks, if nothing goes wrong. Now, the, this article by Forbes is part of a group uh, of mass media, mailings basically to media, by the Psychological Operations Divisions. They're working, uh, again, for government and the military. Because eh? I've got the articles from them, some of, the, some of these associations. Uh, and uh, they're, they're, point, they're giving out the instructions to all the media on how to help to convince the public. Just like the one from Ireland there, from the, from the Irish SAGE unit and the British SAGE unit, to increase anxiety and all the rest. All the tricks. Why are you resorting to tricks to get folk to comply? and deception to get folk to comply, and psychological behavioural techniques to comply in a free society. The very fact you're doing that means that society is not free. Now, here's what they say too. The power of the crowd, eh? beyond convincing the population that vaccine is safe and crucial for both individuals and the collectivity, how can you convince them when they don't know yet what the long-term studies are, even the short-term studies, Four or five weeks or two months is not a long-term study. When the, when the group in Britain for the Government Acquisitions Department, and I read it last week from the government site, and it states right on it, that they put a tender for applications, apps for cell phones and so on, so that folk who take the jab can be tracked and traced for a minimum of two years so that the government can have, a, can have a record of adverse effects. 
which means they don't know if it's safe yet. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to do that if it's perfectly safe. But let's not use logic here. Anyway, it's in a situation of ambiguity. Here we are. Eh? We tend to look at what others do to make, to make our own decisions, you see. In a study written with Marco Clements in 2050, we examined the importance of the majority opinion. Here we go, see, in driving practice adoption, using the communication theory of the spiral of silence introduced by Elizabeth Noel Newman. And in the 70s, in the study, we explain how we tend to align on what we perceive as a majority opinion to avoid feeling isolated. So let's... So, so, see, it's too, if you, you're actually being told the technique right here, folks. Using the crowd, right? So that you don't, so, so perceive as majority opinion to avoid feeling isolated. It also adverse, it conversely means that you attack the person who won't go along with it and you'll make them isolated. Do you understand that te- you're seeing two things at the same time in the same sentence? Eh? In other words, if we feel like everybody else is taking the vaccine, we're likely to do so too. Well, that's really informed consent, right? Well, they've all taken it. Huh? So I'll take it too? No, what's it told you about the vaccine? How about all the all the, the, the actual side effects of it could possible and really it, it could have on you? Informed consent is not making them feel isolated, or make them feel part of the majority, that doesn't tell you anything except that they're, they're collective in nature. However, our perception of the majority opinion is often biased. If we see a vocal group, but by the same token, by the way, you could say the majority opinion, okay, they behead people in some countries for crimes. Should we do the same if the majority are all for it there? And just, this is not giving you the details we're talking about we're talking about vaccination side effects here and the safety. And the fact if you get the jab and something goes wrong, it's not majority that's going to feel bad about it, it's you. So they go through the fact oh so majority, you know. Um, See, so they might appear to us as a majority rather than as a marginal group. The impression will disproportionately influence our own decisions. Social media can play the role of an echo chamber that accentuates the impression for the same reason England has decided to enlist sensible celebrities. So here you are. Celebrities, eh? They're paying them, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, um, and Scotland will even be ready, will even be ready vaccinate. What's wrong with people's spelling and, and speech and grammar? Scotland will even be ready vaccinate its first minister, Nicola Surgeon. Even be ready vaccinate. They missed out a two or something on TV. Well, is she getting the vaccination? Is she? Is it or is it sterile water? Perhaps or, you know. Seeing it, oh, it's on TV. It must be true. Mm-mm-mm. And by the way, they would never risk that live on TV. Because if someone important, not a little old you, said a nasty reaction immediately on television, it would kill the vaccination program. Do you understand that? They'd never allow it. They'd never, they would never chance that. More than celebrities, we uh, need to make visible and legitimate and broad support for the vaccination campaign. Such support also needs to, to highlight the process. And by the way, this is for vaccinations that they've said won't stop you getting it or spreading it. 
and we'll, and you'll still have to wear masks after. Do you understand this? What else is going on here, apart from the, the changing our behaviours, etc.? Why is it so important to get these experimental vaccines? What else is it going to do to you, I wonder? Bertie Russell would have a good thing to say about that, I'm sure. So they're talking about creating broad support for vaccination campaigns and so on and so on. There you go. Let's use the crowd and, and let's make it a, a collective thing that you all have to... Well, they're all doing it, so that's a good enough reason for you. Never mind side effects or possible things or bad reactions. They're all doing it, so it's okay, you see. That, that's what is that your informed consent? No, this is psycho, psychological deception and warfare, actually, techniques. It really is, isn't it? By the way, I've got lots of articles like that, but I wouldn't read them all tonight because they're all given the handouts at the same time by psychological warfare units and behaviorist groups like the BITS and so on. Huh? Here's what you tell the people. Remember, it creates anxiety at the same time, you know. And this article here from 2009, right? And this one here is News Canada at the time. Toronto Sun it was from. And that's when the, uh, they called it uh, the live bird flu virus, see? It says Baxter Laboratories, right? The company that released contaminated flu virus material from a plant in Austria. They've got, they, they, by, by the way, they're all over the world. There's, there's one in Ontario, I think, too. Baxter Laboratories that make the vaccine. And they, again, they were the first one. They were, they were given big, big um, exposure at the time when... That flu broke out in 2009, you know, and and um, the, the H5N1, they had even flu virus and a swine flu, they claimed at the same time. But uh, that company could, go. Oh, they said rush it, they were going to rush it through in months. The same things you're hearing today, folks. See, they've, exper- they've, they've, they've tested this technique before of how to con the public, you know? And get everybody to take the vaccinations. And they, actually, they, man, they were mandating everybody was going to have to get the vaccine. Oh, it's going to kill millions of us. I've got the articles that says that. It's going to kill millions of us. And it didn't. But what happened was the laboratory really sunk itself. Because this is what happened. They sent batches of the the vaccine along with other batches of live viruses from Austria, a laboratory, to, to two different places that were subcontracted by them and, and Europe. And luckily, where they sent them, one guy examined them and tested the ones that were unmarked, and they were live viruses. If they'd been injected into somebody, they actually state that this is created a hybrid deadly disease. The person would have become the breeder. It's similar, by the way, to this one that we give you. They actually say that the person will become a kind of like a reactor to, to create more of these particular things in their body to fight the virus. This is what they said uh, recently. But getting back to this article here, it says, What remains unanswered are the circumstances around the incident in the Baxter facility. An orthodono is called, right? The contaminated product, a mix of H3N2 seasonal flu viruses and unlabeled H5N1 viruses, was supplied to an Austrian research company 
the Austrian firm Avir Green Hills Biotechnology then sent portions of it to subcontractors in the Czech Republic and Slovenia and to Germany. There's three places, right? The, the contaminated instrument, which was being investigated by the four European countries, came to light when the subcontractor in the Czech Republic inoculated ferrets with the product, and they died. <laughs> right, right away, they died. <laughs> Ferrets shouldn't die from exposure to human H3N2 flu vaccinations, right? Public health authorities concerned about what had been described as a serious error on Baxter's part, Baxter Laboratories, have assumed the death of the ferrets meant the H5N1 virus and the product and the vaccine was live. But the company Baxter International has been parsimonious about this, being evasive about the amount of information it's released about the event. On Friday, the company's director of global bioscience communications confirmed what scientists have suspected. They said it was live, Christopher Bona said in an email. The contaminated product, which Baxter's calls experimental virus material, was made at the Orth Dano Research or Dano Research Facility. Baxter makes its flu vaccine, including a human H5N1 vaccine, for which a license is expected shortly at a facility in the Czech Republic. People familiar with biosecurity rules are dismayed by evidence that human H3N2 and avian H5N1 viruses somehow co-mingled in the Orthodono facility. Uh, that is a dangerous practice that should not be allowed to happen, a number of experts insisted. Do we really need experts to insist upon that? Since the experts let that pass, eh? and how did it get? <laughs> Luckily, one person did the right thing and tested it on the ferrets. Accidental release of a mixture of live H5N1 Live, right? And H3N2 viruses could have resulted in dire consequences. Well, the H5N1 doesn't easily infect people, isn't until you inject them. H3N2 viruses do. If someone exposed to a mixture of the two had been simultaneously infected with both strains, he or she could have served as an incubator for a hybrid virus able to, to transmit easily to and among people. The, that mixing process is called reassortment and is one of two ways pandemic viruses are created. That's what they do to create them in labs like that, you know. Just in case they ever did it by themselves, you know, that's called gain of function. You know? Let's see what would happen if, if we do this. It says that there's no suggestion that this happened because of this, this accident. However, at least nobody's come forward to say they got, got both. We have no evidence of any reassortment, that any reassortment may have occurred, said Angry. Well, what do they expect them to say? And this is the odd part, too. It says Baxter hasn't shed much light, at least publicly, on how the accident happened. Earlier this week, Bona called the mistake the result of a combination of just the process itself and technical and human error in this procedure. He said he couldn't reveal more information because it would give away proprietary information about Baxter's production process. Don't forget, they, they, use, they actually do gain a function in this kind of stuff, you know? Which makes things more lethal, by the way. Supposedly, just to, to try to keep ahead of viruses. Well, this might jump one day from this step to that step, maybe five steps down the road, so we should always make money by making it more lethal and finding ways to combat it, should it ever break out by itself. <laughs> what a world, eh? Good business. And, uh, and there you go. That's one article on it, too. And this other article, too, is back again from 2009, you know. 
Illinois-based Baxter working on swine flu vaccine. This is the PR bit before, before it got found out what happened. The specialty drug maker Baxter International will work with the World Health Organization to develop a vaccine that could stem an outbreak of a deadly swine flu strain in Mexico. That's how they introduced the idea of it by then. By the way, when they stopped, the, 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 never mind the, the side effects from other countries that tried that stuff too, and it fell flat and everybody stopped taking it. And guess what happened, Arthur? It just died away. You never heard of it again. Just like the same build-up as COVID, by the way. Same build-up, but the same organizations. Try and get it. that to put it on hold and wait for, go back to the drawing board. In fact, you think about a year later, 2010, that Operation Lockstep. See how fast it got on. We can't allow this to happen again, you know. Because you see, that should have, the, the whole system you're in today with lockdown, they were going to do it back then for, for the flu, swine flu, they called it. Didn't pan out. And as soon as the folks say, we're far enough, for the, we're not taking a vaccine, <laughs> they screw up with vaccines. It fell flat. And the side effects of the people who had taken it too weren't, weren't good. The word got out back then. And the media wasn't all on board with them, by the way. And guess what happened? That, that flu just disappeared by itself. Wow. So here you are again, 2009. Okay? That's from the Associated Press. So Baxter spokesman Christopher Bona said Saturday that the Deerfield, Illinois-based company had asked the WHO, WHO, for a sample of the flu strain. It didn't have it, right? He said Baxter had, had patented technology that allows the company to develop vaccines. And half the time it usually takes, about 13 weeks instead of 26. He says... There have been 20 confirmed deaths in Mexico of the swine flu, with non-fatal cases also confirmed in Kansas and California. They did the same kind of thing there, by the way, with the swab tests and stuff, and, and the, if, the false positives. And again, if it, did they die off the flu or with it? You know, you, you, it only takes particles. It only senses particles of viruses. It doesn't mean you've got the thing. Anyway, hum- humans don't have a natural immunity to swine flu strain that emerged in Mexico in March. It's strange how it just fizzled up by itself, eh? with no, you know, and with no immunity. Anyway, officials had warned outbreak could become a global epidemic. This is 2009, folks. This was like a dress rehearsal, and they really wanted to bring in the whole thing, eh? Millions could die, a lot of them said. Mm. Now, here's one article here from then, you know? And that was The Guardian back then. When The Guardian was a different newspaper then, it really was pretty decent. And so this one here is um, April 2009, Swine Flu. This is a panic stoked in order to, pos- to posture and spend. This is what the media used to be like when they weren't all on board through threats or whatever, you know. Despite this theory, the risk to Britain's health is tiny, I'll say that again for the harder thing. Despite the hysteria, the risk to Britain's health is tiny, but that news won't sell papers or drugs or justify the WHO's budget. Okay? That's by Simon Jenkins. And it says, we have, we have, gone, we have, we have gone demented to Britain's or are where not very ill from the flu. This could really explode in tones of report for BBC News. London warned it's here, cries the Evening Standard. Fear is said to be spreading like a Mexican wave. It could affect three quarters of a million Britons. It could cost three trillion dollars. The danger, according to the radio, is that workers who are not ill will be worried, perhaps by the reporter, <laughs> and feel to turn up at power stations and hospitals. Already panicked on Monday, ministers plunged into their cobra bunker. That's the 
that's the emergency one for Brittany, Whitehall, to prepare for the worst. Had Tony Blair been about, they would have worn germ warfare suits. British government is barking mad. What is swine flu? It says it's a flu, a mutation on the H1N1 virus of the sort that often occurs. It's not a pandemic, despite the media prefix. Not yet. The BBC calls it potentially a terrible virus. But any viral infection is potentially terrible. Flu makes you feel ill. should take medicine and rest. You will then get well again, unless you're very unlucky or have some complicating condition. It's best to avoid close contact with other people as applies to a common cold. It says in Mexico, 2,000 people have been diagnosed as suffering swine flu. Again, it's the same kind of test, right? Some 150 of them have died with ages, were they? Hmm? Was that what killed them? We don't know. There is said to be no pathological indication of all these deaths being linked to the new flu strain. At least they said that back then, right? People die all the time after catching flu, especially if not Medicaid. Nobody anywhere else in the world has died from this infection, and only a handful have the new strain confirmed. Most in America, and almost all after returning from Mexico. A couple from Airdrie who caught the flu on holiday in Cancun are getting better. That tends to happen to people who get flu, however much it may disappoint editors. We appear to have lost ability to judge the risk. The costs may lie in the national curriculum, the decline of news, or the rise of blogs and uh, concomitant unmediated hysteria. But people seem helpless in navigating the gulf that separates public information from their daily round. They cannot set a statistic in context. It's true that some use statistics right, to terrify you. They cannot relate bad news from Mexico to the risk that inevitably surrounds their lives. The risk of catching swine flu must be millions to one. Health scares are like terrorist ones. Someone, somewhere, has a, now this is important, has an interest in it. We depend on others with specialist knowledge to advise and warn us and assume they offer advice on a dispassionate basis, using their expertise to assess danger and communicating it in measured English words, such as possibly, potentially, could or might or should be avoided. They're unspecific qualifiers and open to exaggeration. So that's what you've had through this whole course. It might, potentially, could or might be, or maybe, even, by the way, even Fauci uses the same terminology. Well, it may do this, and it may stop you, it may, or it might stop you getting the worst symptom. Might, may, how scientific is that? See? Yeah? The World Health Organization, always eager to push itself into the spotlight, loves to talk of the world being ready for a flu pandemic, apparently on the grounds that none has occurred for some time. There's no obvious justification for the scaremongering. I suppose the world is ready for another atomic explosion or another 9-11. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? How can you be ready for it? Professional expertise is now overwhelmed by professional log-rolling. Risk aversion has trounced risk judgment, an obligation on public officials not to scare pub- uh, people or lead them to needless expense. is overridden by the yearning for a higher budget or more profit. Health scares enable media-hungry doctors, public health officials and drugs companies to benefit by manipulating fright. Manipulating fright, see? It says, on Monday, the EU Health Commissioner Andrula Vassalou uh, advised travellers not to go north or Central America unless it's very urgent. The British Foreign Office warned against all but essential travel to Mexico. Sound familiar, folks? Because of the danger of catching flu, this was outrageous. It would make 
more sense to prefer such a warning against the American crime rate, yet such health and safety hysteria wiped millions from travel company shares. During the BSC, yes, that's the bovine uh, scare of 1995-97 it was, and uh, it says, uh, grown men with medical degrees predicted doom, terrifying ministers, politicians, right, and to mad politi- politicians' disease. The, the scientists' hysteria that BSC has the potential to infect up to 10 million Britons. <gasps> 10 million, eh? That's what they told them then. That's the big BSC scare. Led to tens of thousands of cattle being fed into power stations and £5 billion spent on farmers' compensation. By the way, Ferguson was involved in that too, I think. You know, they, they, I know they were doing it on computer modelling as opposed to reality. A year later, the scientists tried to maintain that the BSE might spread to sheep because according to one government scientist, the absence of evidence, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. <laughs> the meat industry was wrecked and an absurd ongoing cost was imposed on stock farmers with the closure and concentration of abattoirs. They've closed abattoirs with the COVID scare, folks. Most of them are closed because they're getting off meat anyway. I mean, Bill Gates already said that, and so is the rest of the characters. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy and you'll be meatless and so on, right? Maybe a bit skinny and malnourished, but because uh, obviously they want to cut back on your vegetables and all that too, by the way, folks. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All their modified vegetables, eh? It says the science-based, this science-based insanity was repeated during the SARS outbreak of 2003. Isn't it, isn't it a breath of fresh air to read common sense as, uh, from reporters that were real reporters back then and not this on the payroll? Eh? The science-based insanity was repeated during the SARS outbreak of 2003, asserted by Dr. Patrick Dixon, formerly of the London Business School, to have a 25% chance of killing tens of millions the press duty headlined a plague worse than AIDS. Not one Briton died of it. Same lunacy occurred in 2006 with avian flu erupting after a scientist named John Oxford declared that it will be the first pandemic of the 21st century. The WHO issued a statement that one in four Britons could die. Could again, see? <laughs> Epidemiologists love the word could because it can always assure them of a headline. During the avian flu mania, Canada geese were treated like Goring's bombers. It's true, they were killing them, eh? RSPB workers were issued with protective headgear. The media went berserk with interviewers asking why the government didn't close all schools to prevent up to 50,000 deaths. The Today program's John Humphreys became frantic when a dead goose flopped down on an isolated Scottish beach and a hapless local official refused to confirm the BBC's hysteria. The bird might pose no threat to Scotland, but how dare he deny London journalists a good panic. Meanwhile, a real pestilence, MRSA and C. difficile, was taking hold in hospitals. It was suppressed by the medical profession because it appeared that they themselves might be to blame. 
These diseases have played a role in thousands of deaths in British hospitals. The former reported 1,652 and the latter 8,324 in 2007 alone. Like deaths from alcoholism, we've come to regard hospital-induced infection as an accident of life, a hazard to which we have subconsciously adjusted. MRC and C. difficile are not like swine flu, an opportunity for public figures to scare and posture and spend money. They're diseases for which the government is to blame. They claim no headlines and no cobra priority. Their sufferers must crawl away and die in silence. Excellent article, but that's what you used to get when, when they were allowed to say things. Now, they had the Levison Inquiry, by the way, to do with... Um, Phone tappings and stuff from the from the Murdoch group, apparently. I think it was in the Murdoch group papers that were doing that. But they used the Levson Inquiry to silence reporters, folks. That was a, I knew there was much more to it when Lord Levison was given this task of rewriting the rights and rules and what you could say and what you couldn't say. And this is what you could say the year before, as this reporter managed to do, right? and put it in the Guardian newspaper, when the Guardian newspaper had some guts and gumption and decency. Mm-hmm. So you can look that up yourself and read it. It's comforting to read it, actually. It, 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 it reassures your sensibilities again, you know. Dangerous stuff, though, really, eh? Reassuring your own sensibilities. Mm. And also put up one with the, the Baxter one again, as we were, they were building it up just like the, the, the BioNTech, you know, and the Bill Gates vaccines, and they're they all involved in two and Pfizer, etc. And now they're using the Baxter one then to try and make, and until that screw up happened, and they just sunk them. And again, the flu just died away then. Well, my goodness. It was going to kill millions, but nah, it just died away. When, when the media lost interest, so did the disease. <laughs> also from, um, again, it's so important, the, the, the flu vaccine trials, 2008-2009, right? Because this also broke out back then, you know. So much for your informed consent or, or getting professionals to persuade you by using the crowd, you know. Crowd opinion motivates the rest to jump on board with it. What do you think of It's probably good for you. That's informed, right? So this is from the Telegraph Media Group at the time, and it's uh, 2008, actually, July. Homeless people die, this is from Poland, after bird flu vaccine trial in Poland, right? Three Polish doctors and six nurses facing criminal prosecution after a number of homeless people died following medical trials for a vaccine to the H5N1 bird flu virus. This is happening in different places too, by the way. But at least in mainstream, you see how it was before the, the Levison Inquiry and then literally light and day what the reporters would say, you know. The medical staff from the northern town of uh, Grudzads, Grudzads are being investigated over medical trials and as, as many as 350 homeless and poor people last year, which prosecutors say involved an untried vaccine to the highly contagious virus. All they should have said is say it's safe, no, untried vaccine to the highly contagious virus. The way it just disappeared, eh? And it says the director of the homeless centre 
Mieczysław Wozlowski told a Polish newspaper that last year 21 people from his centre died, a figure well above the average of about eight. Although authorities have yet to prove a direct link between the deaths and the activities of the medical staff, Poland's health minister, Ewa Kopas, has said that the doctors and nurses involved should not return to their profession. It's an interest of all doctors that those who are responsible for this are punished. The different wording is to what's happening today, huh? the minister added here. Yeah. Investigators are also probing the possibility that medical staff may have also deceived the pharmaceutical companies that commissioned the trials. The suspects said that all of those involved knew that the trial involved an anti-H5N1 drug and willingly participated. The news of the investigation will come as another blow to the reputation of Poland's beleaguered and poverty-stricken National Health Service. Listen to the In 2002, a number of ambulance medics were found guilty of killing their patients for commissions from funeral companies. You think evil doesn't stalk this earth, eh? You're living through evil right now, folks. I, room, I mean real evil. It's, often, it has, it's almost got nothing to stop it right now because most folk don't believe in it anymore. They've become humanists. Well, yeah, humans do bad things, you know. It's just human nature. and You've all been trained to believe that, of what's going on. But back then, at least, they could charge and find people who've been killing them. Hmm? It's just astonishing what goes on. And, and the more horrific and, and big the massacres and slaughters and, and, and deceptions, even just the deceptions, the, the bigger they are, the more evil it is. Evil really protects itself, you know. No one can, anyone's coming down with bad reactions from after getting the vaccine. Every newspaper is telling you immediately before the body's cold, nothing to do with the vaccination. How would you know? <laughs> I tell you. And then the article 2 that came out in February 21st, 1983, the swine flu fiasco. That's the, the earlier swine flu fiasco. Great documentary, and it's been, it's been out there for if it's still up there, don't it's on YouTube or what. It's about the 1976, a 19-year-old soldier died at Fort Dix, New Jersey, after coming down with a severe case of influenza, which they dubbed swine flu. Freeing a return of the fatal 1918 Spanish flu, this is the excuse, US authorities launched an unprecedented program to vaccinate every man, woman and child in the country. But after two months and tens of millions of dollars, the program was scrapped when reports leaked out about adverse reactions to the shock that ranged from temporary paralysis, just like we're hearing now, but, you know, temporary paralysis, we've got that, we've got Parkinson's, your face is paralyzed, you know, just, you know. So they stopped these things. See, these are the sense to stop things back then, right? So they stopped it and... Uh, Temporary process to also people who died as well. This CBC, a CBC television clip, looks at the ill-fated initiative, which was blamed for casting suspicion on vaccination efforts for an entire generation. So it's uh, so it says President Gerald Ford's National Influenza Immunization Program began October the first, nineteen seventy-six, with free vaccination clinics in Indianapolis. Canada followed suit days after, even though no cases of the virus had been detected north of the border. And it goes through the history of what happened. It said the multi-million dollar cost was needed to avoid a return of the virus. So they put big money towards it. 
And, and, and again, Ford at the time, he, he claimed the return of the virus, which he claimed had caused the 1918 pandemic. See how they used it? It wasn't the same thing again either. It wasn't, it wasn't the one they'd done then. Following the footsteps of Ford's announcement, Canadian Health Minister Mark Lalonde said he was contemplating a universal vaccination program. Well-intentioned, but poorly executed. The vaccinations were a public health disaster that contributed to Ford's election loss. He was voted out of office in 1977. Because of the side effects and so on, right? Oh, because one soldier died, right? Uh-uh-uh. Men, it came out too, by the way, that this soldier, this young fella, uh, that they, they did him on uh, kind of chores for about four days straight and, and incredible exercises and, and jogging runs and the whole thing. Some of them was riding his back, basically, obviously. And that's really what they said what killed him. He was beyond exhaustion, and he died. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And they used all this scary st- all this story along with many others that at the time reported as many 500 cases of swine flu at Fort Dixon warned of a second more deadly wave in the fall. Mm. Didn't happen, though, eh? They always give this second and third wave stuff, eh? From the same sources. Mm. It says this combined with a lack of an outbreak of the swine flu after, t- you know, locking down folk and you had to vaccinate and, and big bucks for pharma, for pharma and vaccine makers, right? They only managed to, to vaccinate 500 folk in the US. They, they developed the, the Guillain Barr syndrome and 25 of them died. That was enough for the US government. The CDC ordered the suspension of the flu program December the 16th, 1976. Ontario followed suit to sit the day after with the rest of the province cancelling the program the week after. See, there's, see they, they understand why they're going the whole hog this time, regardless of the consequences. And it changed society, folks. Mm-mm-mm. But yeah, that, that was in medium, put out by television at the time. The program was called The Journal. And uh, you look it up for yourself. Barbara Frum, the mother of David Frum, it was, uh, who wrote the book for Bush Jr., The Right Man and all that stuff, uh, was the host of it. Two thousand and nine. <clears throat> I'm just reminding you about how safe things are and safe things are. You're going to get informed consent. You better start asking some questions. Not like, well, is the rest of the crowd taking it? You know, <laughs> this is your life, eh? And your hands, eh? Okay. This one here says, free report. Key pointer to life transforming diet. It says at the very top of this one. It's put by a health company, actually. But it says that the flu, children who have flu jab are three times more likely to need hospital care. This is 20th of May, 2009. So they take the standard flu jab, three times more likely to end up in the hospital. The vaccine also is useless at preventing the disease, new research has discovered. And children with asthma are especially vulnerable after being given the annual flu vaccine. TIV, uh, trivalent and activated flu vaccine. Children aged from six months to 18 years are, are recommended to have the vaccine each year. 
So researchers from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester made the discovery after studying 263 children who had had the flu and where or not they had been vaccinated. They discovered that the children who had been vaccinated were three times more likely to need hospital care than those not vaccinated. And the risk was even higher in children who had asthma. It was also clear the vaccine had not protected the children against the flu, the researchers told a conference this week. That was the 105th International Conference of the American Thoracic Society in San Diego. And uh, other links are there to other people involved in the the investigations of it. Now this other article too is is interesting. Again, it's to do (laughs) with, with, with psychological warfare, folks, is what it is. As I've said before, if you are telling the truth to people, you don't have to use persuaders, professional persuaders. They're allowed to say no when it comes to their own life, obviously. Now, I've talked before about how words are so important. This this article is is interesting. I've got much more in-depth articles myself over many, many years from different sources. You can't even find now some of them. And even books have been removed from libraries over many years. And I I, (laughs) talked about that years ago, too, when I saw piles and piles, like hundreds of books, hundreds of books occasionally getting dumped at a time in local dumps. And they called it, was it weeding out? That's the term they're using now internationally. Weeding out the books and libraries. Uh, because a lot of books, you see, had a lot of information that might make you think about things and come to different conclusions about different things and disinform you generally, you know. Or facts. Facts are an awful danger these days. But this little article here gives you a little clue into something. Something's best that these little shallow articles, in a sense. But this one here says, uh, changing the culture of concussion reporting amongst college athletes. And you say, well, what's that got to do with anything, right? And they they talk about uh, taking a socio-ecological approach to the problem, looking at vested interests and reporting behavior at the individual level. Organizational culture, that's as important, organizational culture, they call it, at the interpersonal group level. So we're talking about earlier about the crowd and so on. This is a more in-depth little talk about it. And cultural narrative at the social level. This has been going on for years, eh? And underneath it goes into detecting and tracking adversarial framing in mainstream and social media. The CSC has been awarded a grant from the Office of Naval Research to study the use of adversarial framing and in information operations by state actors to influence political discourse in Europe. Okay? Now, don't forget that the, the Naval Research, Navy has probably the larger um, intelligence agency. It's a senior intelligence agency than the other ones, you know. And they do amazing stuff. I mean, I'll get off the topic again, just from, this is where I always go, but the, I can remember years ago, and I remember mentioned it in the late 90s in a talk of a study I noticed in Hawaii. And the, the, soldier, the, the, the naval um, personnel had been studied for years by psychologists and behaviorists and, and the people involved in, in social, socioeconomic systems and so on to see what classes would marry what kind of people that they met in foreign countries 
to get a more. This is what they said, by the way. This is years ago. I just this is just amazing. stashed inside your brain. Eh? And they said that, that that the study had been ongoing to find out uh, what children of the of the offspring of sailors and military people mix. What, what cultures they mix with give them a more compliant docile offspring. I'm not kidding you. This is an official study. I've been on for years. And they listed the, 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 the peoples that uh, were satisfactory. Apparently, they didn't want to, to breed with their own peoples, but maybe it made them more aggressive, I don't know. But yeah, they actually, uh, obviously, they already had the, the sailors grouped in ethnicities. Eh? That's rather obvious. They had to have to do the studies, ongoing studies. And, and again, they had the, the psychologists and behaviorists studying them and quietly, unobserved and all that. And, Little chit chats with medical professionals, and and that's how information really comes out is through chit chat, you know. You have no idea what you're living in, you know. You have none. No, none. Now it's much easier because it's all on the internet, and, and people put it up on their Facebook pages. It's all done. You're, you're doing it all for them. Everything about you. <laughs> Back to the article. And it says, detecting and tracking and various serial framing in mainstream stream. So here they are, right? Uh, how to, to alter and how to frame discourses and information operations. Right? In Europe, framing is the use of words, phrases, images, or other rhetorical devices to encourage one interpretation of a set of facts. Now, to bring a common Interpretation, you see what it is, of facts and discourage other interpretations. You're starting to get the picture. You just apply this again to COVID right now or whatever part of COVID you want to, to encourage one interpretation of a set of facts and discourage other interpretations. The research is an outgrowth of a pilot project conducted with support from Lockheed Martin Advanced Technology Laboratories. Initiative study Russia's use of such tactics in the 2014 Ukraine conflict. That that project showed large shifts in framing prior to the invasion of Crimea. This research will attempt to extend the approach to other European conflicts to improve detection of adversary efforts, development of counter and influence campaigns, and assessment of allied and adversary campaigns and forecasting of hostility escalation. It says here, right? And now, here's the thing: you simply back to what I said before, and the articles I put up before, and the links in previous weeks and months, when the Canadian government, the American government, the British government, and of course the British Empire—I still call it the Empire system because they put like it or not—they're all still part of the same uh, Commonwealth, I like to call it nowadays. Eh? Are all under the same the same rule, and the same agenda. And they, they turned, and they authorized. It was in the mainstream newspaper articles. The same uh, cyber warriors, they call them, the different divisions of them, different layers of them for the military, upon their own people during the COVID thing, using the same techniques, eh? right? So again, back to to influence political discourse at the time here. But um, using words, 
Framing the use of words, phrases and images or other rhetorical devices to encourage one interpretation of a set of facts and discourage other interpretations. It's been used on you now, folks. These are psyops. Psychological warfare operations. This is, this is an offhand thing right now, but I thought I'd just tuck it in as well. Because you folk have no idea where all their opinions are made, who's making them, and why, how they're even coming to them. This article here now is to do with how they're always blaming Russia for something. Again, it's, it's psyops, all these different things, you know. You don't need another country to do these things for you. As his leaked documents have unequivocally proven that the United Kingdom has been running a large-scale and well-funded program. The links are here, by the way, to, to the program. Uh, to plaster the Western media with anti-Russian propaganda, and Twitter wants you to know that these materials were obtained through hacking. Meanwhile, just a few weeks ago, the connections between American big tech and these sundry programs were formalized with Ben Nimmo joining Facebook to, to lead global threat intelligence strategy against influence operations. This also applies, by the way, to COVID. Anybody speaking out against COVID? And it says Ben Nimmo is a non-resident senior fellow of the Atlantic Council think tank. Naturally, these are the ones that are all pro-wars and stuff for the same peanut group, which pays the salaries of pro-NATO journalists and activists and is funded by the U.S. State Department and military contractors like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. He heads Atlantic Council's DFR lab to operationalize the study of disinformation by exposing falsehood and, and fake news. And there, in other words, the, the, with that last article, ties right in with this one here, folks, how they do it, right? He's highly accomplished in the field, having filtered out, uh, says disgruntled British pensioners on Facebook and Twitter for several years now. And these are different things he'd been worked. To, he's worked on Ben Nimmo, a DFR lab fellow who has built his reputation on flushing out online Kremlin influence network, embarked on an embarrassing witch hunt this year that saw him misidentify several living, breathing individuals as Russian bots or Kremlin uh, influence accounts. And uh, he says his victims included Mariam Susley, a well-known Syrian Australian social media personality the famed Ukrainian concert pianist Valentina uh, Lisita, Lisita and uh, Lisitsa, and a British pensioner named Ian Schilling. See, so he, he fell flat in all these ones. According to another expose by the Moon of Alabama's blog, Nemo also prominently figures in cluster lists in the UK's Integrity Initiative, <laughs> an FCO-funded partner project of Bellingcat, or Bellingcat by, that's like the, almost like the, uh, the 77th Brigade of PSYOPs eh? and uh, Cyber Warriors and the Atlantic Council, under which journalists, activists and social media armchair warriors were uh, uh, compensated for doing tasks like pushing the Russia Gate conspiracy theory and launching smear attacks against public figures perceived to have taken insufficiently anti-Russian positions. Ironic, given that the DFR Lab's own fondness for cluster graphics, it says here, it gives you links to these little terms and so on. And it talks about, too, how they're, they're using them, too, for all kinds of social media. You understand what's... This is the same ones you're seeing uh, operate openly now, really, attacking people within their own countries. Your own governments are doing this. They're at war with all of you. An independent inquiry or independent uh, reasoning, even. Yeah? 
I'll put up a link too to the Leveson Inquiry as I say that change, that really you could see the night and day change of the media, what they would say, what they wouldn't say and so on. After that last uh, 2009 flu <laughs> failure, um, although they don't mention the flu, but I know it was definitely part of it because it was night and day. And, it, and it's 2010, a year later, remember, that they came out with a lockstep, Operation Lockstep, how it would be in the future, the next pandemic that they would try it with. Um, it says here, this article, this article here too, it says, um, it will take seven years to end the coronavirus pandemic by getting shots in the arms of 75% of the world's population, but the U.S. could reach herd immunity by the 2022 New Year vaccination calculator. It's all done through computers, eh? The calculator shows, eh? So the coronavirus pandemic will drag on for another seven years at the current rate of vaccinations worldwide. Uh, so now the calculations predict. So we're living by by calculations from computer modeling. And this is according to Bloomberg's vaccination calculator. But who gave him the right to be involved in changing our lives and involved with all these different pandemics, etc.? along with Bill Gates, and all, all these other big rich philanthropists, the, the plutocrats that John Cleese talked about, eh? John Cleese and Monty Python said he wasn't worried about it, the only ones he worried about were plutocrats, the richest people in the world, uh, forming a big club and running the world to their own agenda. Well, that's just where we are, folks. And it's been this way for a long time. And then in Spain, by the way, you've got another article here. Barcelona, a judge in northwest Spain, has overruled the family's objections and decided to allow a health authority over there to administer a COVID-19 vaccine to an incapacitated woman in a nursing home. Remember the ones in Germany last week I mentioned too, where there's a lot of folk in hot water because they actually held forcibly held down people who had not consented to getting vaccinations and they gave them to them, and a lot of them have died since then. Of course, it's nothing to do with the vaccinations. But uh, regardless, uh, this, well, we can't get an informed consent because they're, they're, some of them are senile, you know. Well, they're, some of them are awfully ambulatory. One of them was even a jogger and very fit, and so, but it makes no difference. When you're old, you're useless. You're, you're a useless eater, for goodness sake. The bioethicists tell you that now, you know. Get with the program, eh? So here they are, they're, 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 now they're just uh, using judges to say it's legal to kill them, I guess. Or, well, sorry, legal to give them vaccinations. And if they die, it's not the vaccination, obviously. So I would say it's far safer to, to, to take a blood sample, see if they've got antibodies already to it, like most folk have. And uh, leave it at that. You don't need a vaccination then, you know. There's also an article out, a few articles actually, and I know this is going to be a big one. It will be a big one, folks. Because there's, a, there's inquiries now, as to, especially the side with the one, the doctor, because it's always important folk can make the, the, the gears start working. The gynecologist that died, you know, his platelets were all destroyed by his own immune system. It turned on them suddenly after the, you know, just coincidentally after he got the shots, you know, within weeks. And, um, but what they found... He had two ant- types of antibody. One, in, uh, his body created itself, so he'd been exposed to it the previous year, you see, last year. And he developed, like most folk do, antibodies, so he's immune to it. But he got the shot in the spring, or this, this last month, I guess it was, January or so. 
But anyway, uh, and they, they said that they now had another antibody from the vaccination, a different kind. So it's, it's literally is different, you know. Makes you wonder what's all the, all the rest of it. But however, some investigators are wondering, and health investigators who know their stuff, are wondering if um, this was caused the conflict. If you're, and actually, there was a bit of a warning in one of the articles I saw I read last week. I mentioned it, where it said that it may be possible that if you've already got the antibodies, right, that getting the vaccination might be dangerous for you because of the fact they take the different kinds of conflict that will then hit you with having the two kinds, one will attack the other. This is what they're wondering, eh? And I guarantee you, if there's any truth to it, that will get squashed. Because as I said last year in February, this agenda is written in stone. It took years to work this out, years to plan all, years to get the right people in places in all the big countries in charge of health and so on, all in the right positions. That's why it's not normal that you haven't got any dissenting voices and authority here. It's not normal. Anyway, just something to think about, you know, this, but this, this idea of persuading the people to go along with the crowd, and that's okay to do that, when you're supposed to be giving each person, each person, not the crowd, each person, after the crowd isn't your life, you're your life, and get an informed consent. Where you say, what are the possible side effects that have been recorded by this thing, and, you know. And they're supposed to sit and read it all off to you. You're supposed to decide if you want it or not. Portuguese court rules, PCR tests are unreliable. After the Spanish one, as I mentioned before, where the judge mandated the woman gets the shot anyway. So much for, you know. Anyway, and this is going to be a precedent, you see. So they're going to, they're going to try to push it on everybody. Mandatory. We like it or not. Now, this article here, Portuguese court rules PCR tests are unreliable and quarantines are unlawful. An important legal decision faces total media blackout in the Western world. But, uh, yeah, the PCR tests, is, they say themselves are not reliable for, for SARS-CoV-2. It's not meant to be a diagnostic. It's meant to be an aid if, after you've got all the clinical signs and symptoms. They're not born with clinical signs and symptoms to see if you've, you've got the experience, the clinical signs and symptoms of fever and cough and all this. If you don't have that, well, it's, it doesn't really matter what the, what, the, what, the, what the swab test does because most a lot of them are, are false positives and they say that. The inventor said it. <sighs> anyway, it says, most importantly, the judge ruled that a single positive PCR test cannot be used as, a, as an effective diagnosis of infection. And that they couldn't use it as a viol- it'd be a violation of f- fundamental rights to liberty. Specifics of the case concerned foreign tourists entering the country from Germany, all of whom are anonymous in the transcript of the case, who were quarantined by the regional health authority. Of the four, only one had tested positive for the virus, while the other three were deemed simply high infection risk based on proximity to the positive individual. <laughs> All four had in the previous 72 hours tested negative for the virus before departing from Germany. Remember that, that was a football team last year in the States? They'd all tested positive, getting on a plane or something. Um, before we got on a plane to wherever they were getting sent to other state, and they were tested negative when they got off it. 
<laughs> uh, I tell you, uh, wonders will never see. Miracles still happen, you know. But uh, it says here, the ruling goes on to conclude that based on the signs that they read, right, with the cycles, because they're using up to 35 cycles or more, they become completely inaccurate, right? It says, uh, once you get to 35 cycles or more, the accuracy dropped to 3%, meaning up to 97% of positive results could be false positives. We know that already. You know? And it says, the ruling is only to conclude that based on the science they read, any PCR test using over 25 cycles is totally unreliable. Most of them are w- over that. They're all using the labs. Uh, which given the false positives. Governments and private labs have been very tight-lipped about the exact number of cycles they run when PCR tests, because they're all different. But it's known to sometimes be as high as 45. 45, guaranteed to get false positives. Even fearmonger and chief uh, Anthony Fauci has publicly stated anything over 35 is totally unusable. Why are they still using it? And the link to that art, but Fauci said is here, by the way, you know. It says you can read the complete ruling of the original Portuguese here and translate to English. So they give you a link to the English translation as well. And it says there's also a good write-up on Great Game India. And it's quite good that when you look into Great Game India. It's interesting. Plus a Portuguese professor sent a long email about the case to lockdown skeptics. That's a good site too to get different information from. Uh, mind you, I look at all it's like, it's like, I th- if I can work it out myself, I know if something's right or not or whatever, but uh, you, you got to use your own head on whatever you're looking at. I don't care what it is or from where. <laughs> and Whitney Webb also wrote this article along with Johnny Vedmore, but it's, it says, from Event 201 to Cyber Polygon, the, the World Economic Forum's simulation of a coming cyber pandemic. Last year, the World Economic Forum teamed up with the Russian government and global banks to run a high-profile cyber attack simulation that targeted financial industry, an actual event that would pave the way for a reset of the global economy. The same Klaus Schwab again, eh, using all techniques. The simulation named Cyber Polygon may have been more than a typical planning exercise and bears similarities to the World Economic Forum-sponsored pandemic simulation event 201 that briefly preceded the COVID-19 crisis. So it's a good article too for those who want to read through it and so on. It's got good links as well to the article. Which you, you need good links to, to the different articles. That way you know you're just not just getting opinion, etc. When you see the the, <laughs> the different uh, persuaders the government's putting out upon you, you won't get all the links to other points of view. As I say, they've got to streamline it to create one opinion on everything. Yeah, that's what you're living through, folks. At least in other articles, they'll give you links to the different quotes and so on inside it by different people and organizations. So it's, uh, it's really imp- important to read them and, and, and figure these things out for yourself. Eh? But it's interesting. It's, um, it says, aside from, it goes through different to people involved in all this, this exercise to operation, the Cyber Polygon event. And... Uh, it says, aside from uh, Ms. Houston, who, went, who was involved in it, the World Economic Forum Executive Director Klaus Schwab and former UK Prime Minister, guess who? Tony Blair again, eh? Oh. The guy who, who went to his mentor and says, can we use negative and positive freedom together? Meaning uh, to create the new society. That's what he's talking about, creating a new society. And he went to his mentor. 
in Britain to get advice. I was in newspapers at the time in Britain. Isaiah Berlin. Hey? So it's amazing. The same characters just go down through your lifetime, your lifetime, and, and, and all these different roles, and the same bunch are always involved in everything that's going to change your life because they belong. They're workers for the big club. You know, they're not at the top, but they're workers for the big club. Anyway, Tony participated in the Cyber Polygon 2020 event, which is due to be repeated annually and bears many similarities to 2019's event. To one, ran preparing for a potential medical pandemic. Cyber Polygon 2020 focused on preparing for a cyber pandemic, one that mainstream media outlines, like the New Yorker, and the link is here too, claim is already underway. That's as a New Yorker article there too. Uh, given the WF's recent uh, simulations, powerful billionaire business owners and bankers appear to be poised to use both physical and digital pandemics to reform our societies according to their own design and for their own benefits. Mm-hmm. There you go. And as I was thinking too about the Leveson inquiry they had in Britain, Lord Leveson came out with all these recommendations for journalists and everything changed. They had one in, in Australia too with a similar uh, type of Levison character, you know, a big high court judge and all that. We came out with the same stuff for Australia. But says Kevin Rudd's article is recent. It says Kevin Rudd says Australian politicians are frightened of Murdoch media beast in the Senate inquiry. The former PM says his fear of the Murdoch empire persisted during his time in office and only subsided after he left. Wow, there you go. So he declared that Australian politicians are frightened of Murdoch. And speaking under parliamentary privilege at Parliament House in Canberra, Rudd said the Murdoch mob was seeking compliant politicians. He told an inquiry into media diversity that politicians were fearful of facing a systemic campaign. I'm not surprised that politicians are afraid of anybody. You wouldn't think it these days, but they're all on board together, terrifying the public. The actual politicians doing that, not the, you know. But again, the media's on board with it too now, I guess. The former Labour Prime Minister said the unspoken word about Murdoch in Parliament House was that it's not in your personal political interest ever to go after Rupert Murdoch or Lachlan Murdoch because they'll get you. <laughs> but yeah, they, they got the same thing in, in the media over there too with inquiries they had at the same time. So that's why Australia's all on board with it too, and the media's all on board with the whole COVID exercise. And again, too, remember, too, Burton Russell and too many useless satyrs. And, and it's all coincidence, like everything's coincidence. And, you know, and, and it's coincidence that, that there are terrible effects just break out in people, unknown illnesses, not after getting advice. It's just coincidence. You know that, don't you? And it says, uh, why more men are suffering from infertility than ever before? Ah, oh, it's a big puzzle. I did. For years and years I've done talks on this from, from the different clinicians involved and different uh, laboratories involved, constantly examining your sperm count, by the way. And they've been doing it since about the early 1970s, and probably before that too. But uh, I even put up the documentaries put it by some, uh, as a woman who was uh, a top uh, biologist in that field, fertility, and she also used uh, the students, the intakes of students, uh, year by year, every year, in a, in a university in a, in a state in the U.S., and she she had really recorded it and, and rather perfectly, actually, very meticulous, and and reported it to and did a documentary on it as well. But so, but it's just one of these things that happen, you know. It could be anything that caused it, and 
It says men are, uh, says, uh, uh, dropped more than 50% the sperm count since the 1970s. Do you understand? I keep telling you, the CIA and all these organizations are not yours. In fact, they do this on the West before they do it in the rest of the world. You see? That was their way of doing it before letting... In Africa, the plagues just suddenly break out of nowhere, just just coincidentally. And because uh, it's a big testing bed, that's my opinion. I, I know people, too, <laughs> who uh, have, are up in the bio-warfare field, or have been in the past, some of them, who kind of agree with that, that it's a testing bed for certain things in Africa. But in the West, you see, they couldn't do the same thing. There'd be too much, too much media to report what was going on at that time, anyway. Now they'd probably keep quiet and have no readers because nobody would be left alive. But uh, sperm count just drops in the West instead, you see. Does it? It's, it's more effective, really. And it's quite cheap to do, you know. So 50, half, you know, and by the way, the sperm that's left is generally rather uh, immotile. It's not, it doesn't have the mobility. You see, you go heading towards the egg, you know. It, it kind of gets lost, like most of us. We're all getting lost, aren't we, in our lives, I suppose. And um, so anyway, it says, and erectile dysfunction is increasing and testosterone levels are declining by 1% each year. Do you notice that's rather big? It has been since the 1970s. What? What? Uh, yeah, it's true. There you go. Testosterone is falling at the same rate as the, as the, the, the decline in actual sperm too. Yeah? So the current rate of reproductive affairs can't continue much longer without threatening human survival, warns Mount Sinai fertility scientist Dr. Shanna Swan in her book, Countdown. Uh, it says it's, it's a, a global ex- existential crisis. Well, the elite have never called it a crisis. They've always known about it, which tells me that it was meant to be. Otherwise, being the farm animals that we are, our owners would definitely have to find out what's wrong. But since they're unconcerned, all the way up to the now, regardless of how many exposés have been out in the past about it, it means it's meant to happen. And they know what's causing it. Of course it is. So Dr. Swan should know she's been researching fertility for 30 years. She studied a miscarriage boom in Santa Clara, California in the 1980s, which eventually linked to toxic waste dumped into the drinking water by a local uh, semiconductor plant. Semiconductor plants are pretty nasty stuff, by the way. I know they did a lot in, in Pennsylvania, too, at one point. Some parts of She moved on to sperm rates in 1997, and they've been her canary in the coal mines now since. In 2017, she sounded alarm with meta-analysis of 40,000 men that showed that sperm count fell a whopping 59% between 1973 and 2011. Now, what's changed? Again, back to Sherlock Holmes. What's changed... You know, diet injections and injunctions, Burton Russell. I wonder what's changed. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Yep. Old Thomas Malthus saying all the eugenicists ever since. And and again, Aldous Huxley prattling off in Mr. Wallace's interview and starts off with, you know, it's going to double the the, the, the population rate by so-and-so and yeah, 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 there you go. It's the f- main thing on his mind, eh? Mm. And all all these ilk, all that group of these, the scientific elite that works for the dominant minority at the top. Mm. Which, that's what they said, right? This article, this article goes on too. And 
Well, they talk about infertility and, and where women want children and have got problems with the men sometimes. And uh, it talks about um, counting down, you know, uh, to this crisis, the, the counting down of sperm. And she says here that uh, not only do men have less sperm than their fathers, right? She says, although the World Health... Here's the thing, too. <laughs> this is the part I was looking for. Normal sperm count ranges from 15 million sperm per milliliter. Milliliter. That's tiny, right? A little milliliter. That's how much sperm's in it. To 200 million per milliliter. Right? 200 million. That's a lot. You think that's a lot. It says, though the World Health Organization deems a rate below 15 million as low, right? Again, that wonderful organization, Bill Gates. Remember, it's Bill Gates. Too many people. There's a lot of people in the world. It's going to keep expanding and population increasing. And he funds the World Health Organization big time. That came out, you know. So anyway, um, not I'm tiny. That's not to get. I'm just thinking, you know, it's a coincidence and stuff. Anyway, it says... Um, so the World Health Organization's rate uh, is 15 million, which is way lower than it should be. That's for it to be workable, for anything working. Swan argues that anything below 40 million, see? So, so, that, so they've actually altered us the rate of the World Health Organization until you're pretty well sterile, you know. But uh, says, Swan argues anything below 40 million creates challenges for reproduction. Today, the average male is nearing that number at 47.1 million sperm per millimetre, compared to his father, who had an average of 99 million sperm per millimetre. It's clear that this is a deeply worrying trend. Not only do men have less sperm than their dads, but they also have lower testosterone levels. This is interesting, this part. A 2006 study showed that a 65-year-old man in 2002 would have testosterone levels that are 15% lower than a 65-year-old man in 1987. <laughs> a similar drop has been noted in young adults and adolescents, according to a 2020 Urology Times Journal article. As a result, the prescriptions for testosterone replacement therapies doubled between 2010 and 2013, according to the Forbes. But there was one troubling side effect. 90% of men can have their sperm counts drop to zero while they're on it on testosterone so replacing it the testosterone isn't doing the effects and something else that works see? sexual desire has followed a similar path a massive sexual slump is underway due to declines in people's sex drives and interest in sexual activity Swan writes men now seek help for erectile dysfunction on average 7 years earlier than they did in 2005 and 26% of men who deal with it are under the age of 40 well Ay, ay, ay. Also, it says there's, no, there's an overall increase in genital abnormalities, including higher documented rates of undescended testicles and unusually small penises. These issues have been uh, mirrored in the animal kingdom. Hmm. Baltic grey seals have reduced reproductive abilities in polar bears of smaller genitals and lower than average testosterone levels, and alligators, panthers, and minks have all shown increases in reproductive and genital abnormalities. So then they go into what could be going on, etc. Men who cycle for 90 minutes or more per week had 34% lower sperm. Concentrations, uh, lower sperm concentration than those who didn't ride bikes at all. 
Men who cycle for 90 minutes or more per week have 34% lower sperm concentrations than those who don't ride bicycles at all. Hmm. They mentioned that plastics and chemicals, of course, don't help, right? And blah, blah, the phthalates, etc. Uh, etc. etc. There's more to it than that, though. I think I'm pretty sure of it. And uh, again, again, there's no, there's no crisis about it. And th- 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 these articles get churned out every other year, but there's no crisis from the top, which tells me it's meant to be. You see, it just happens to fall in line with the fact that they want to. Well, you know, there's too many of you. And they keep telling us that, don't they? Huh? That's what the WEF's all about, too, with this great reset and the society they want to bring into being. Eh? You have less of everything, you know. And this article, too, again, I'll put up, I've mentioned before, lives and inquiries, chilling effect on the freedom of speech, says Michael Gove. And that's the one that came out in uh, 2012. This was published. And it's creating a chilling atmosphere towards freedom of expression. This was after, again, it came out with uh, like the articles from the good articles they could talk about at the time with the, the 2009 flu that really wasn't a flu. And what the reporter said about it then is straight to the points and uh, who was profiting from it, etc., etc., etc. Well, after that comes Lev's inquiry using, again, a different reason for it. They always use different reasons to implement the clampdowns on speech. And they used Murdoch, again, in Britain, as they did in Australia too, as a reason for it all. But in reality, all journalism completely changed immediately. You can't have freedom of speech, especially when you've got organizations that try to get conformity of speech and opinion, right? They got read about earlier in the article from the government. Where they're paying them to do all this, these, um, to make sure they'll have their uniformity of opinion by the, the PSYOP guys working with the cyber boys, you know. And we saw in Texas, now, now they've got basically one system of everything, which is electricity. I've said it before, once you, you, you take away your different choices and what you need to live in, you're, you're, you're seeing monopolization, like a single monopoly power take over. And then your ability to survival is reduced during any other crisis, you see. So how in the world can anyone pay this? Some seeing electric bills as high as $17,000 in, in Texas, in the wake of the Texas winter storm. There's another article last week, too. They said that it took nine, was it, was it $900, or was it more than 900 to, to, to charge a, a, a car, electric car. <laughs> That's what they did with... Uh, the price of it all, eh? It says the price went up from $50 per megawatt to $9,000 per megawatt. Mm-mm-mm. So there you go, you know. You've got to have other methods of dealing with it, and you've got to have other standby stuff you can use, and that is plentiful, all ready to go. Because uh, your life's at stake, folks. Hmm? Of course it is. You've got to understand that the wealthy elites and the con- continuity of government programs, eh? the COGs, uh, they, well, they're stacked up like you wouldn't believe. They've got underground facilities galore, you know. Uh, well stacked with all kinds of propane, and they've, got, they've got, even got coal in case they run out of the things if there's long-term 
uh, underground uh, conditions are, are, are necessary. They've got all kinds of fuels to keep them going for maybe a century, they say, you know, and stacks of food. I can see the trains pass me. I can tell you this COVID thing's going to last for years. I've never seen so many freight trains. It's all freight trains. So day and night passing this, pl- this place here, never, never. Even when the, there was a good economy before the 2008 crash and then they quietened down, there never been so many trains as this now. And he- longer trains with maybe three or four engines or more on them, miles long. And they're going at one heck of a rate speed. And believe it, with all the stores closed except the food stores, the, the big authorized conglomerate food stores, what's all the stuff? That, where's it all going? Huh? Everything else was shut down. It's, it's not all going to Walmart. <laughs> years, you're looking for years of this stuff. It's going on. It's to get worse and worse and worse by design to bring in the new society, right? This article is from Reuters, and it says UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has met with billionaire vaccine evangelist Bill Gates and 10 big pharma CEOs to discuss rolling out the COVID-19 jab and unveil the country's new Gates-funded plan to prevent future pandemics. Uh, Well, that's your new Fuhrer, Mr. Gates, eh? That's as far as I can say. I mean, who gave this guy this, this power? He just did it. Well, some, but the bigger organization above him obviously appointed him to do it. And everybody else beneath him has been put in that you do what you're told, obviously. Huh? Come on here, you know? Mm-mm-mm. It's, it's involved in everything. And the money dishes out to the WHO and everybody else. It's, it's, they're all in these pockets, as far as I'm concerned. All, they're all compromised. Of course they are. Of course they are, absolutely. Gives money to, to Fauci's group as well. Mm-mm-mm, all published. And medical attorney, government advisor's idea to give corona-free Britain's wristbands gets cold welcome on Twitter. That's an article. And um, a UK member of parliament pushes mandatory COVID-19 vaccination for travel and suggests the army should oversee the rollout. Well, that's very democratic of them. Very first world, you know. Uh, and uh, round up the anti-vaxxers and list religious leaders. Bill Gates warns U.S. needs to brainstorm ways to reduce vaccine hesitancy. That's what they're calling having a choice. You know, you're hesitant. You see, you haven't noticed the crowd rushing. You know, like they told you, like the ones that motivate you, how you use the crowd. Well, how many of the crowd have taken it? Okay, I'll take it to them, yeah. Oh, you're hesitating. Oh, you're he- no. I've made my choice here. You know, just uh, I, I want you to wait and see what happens when another virus rolls around and what this vaccine will do to it. Any conflicts or something? You know, it's just common sense stuff. You know, yeah. Apart from that, too, you've probably got antibodies against it. Why don't you just give your blood test to see if you've got antibodies? An awful lot of folk, if not most, will have it. Why would you need a vaccine that's experimental? <laughs> I know it's to Israel. It's, it's, is it ahead? It's the test. It's a guinea pig. Israel's a guinea pig now, too. I've got an article here. I'll get to it eventually. And by the way, from the Daily Mail in Britain, right, it says, has the lockdown wiped out the flu? There's no cases in Britain. No cases of influenza have been detected in England this year. None. 
because of tough social distancing the measures, says the experts. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Flu may have, may have almost completely disappeared in England after the brutal lockdown, really. Well, folks still were going out, you know, and they're still going into the grocery stores and everything. They're packed with people trying to get something, their crumbs, you know. They don't have the trains delivering it to their special places for the continuity of governments and so on, and yada, yada, yada. But it says, uh, yeah, so there you go. It's, it may have disappeared, eh? But yet officials are confident the flu is barely spreading because only four people admitted to hospitals in England since the start of the year were confirmed they have had the virus. Hmm. I tell you. For comparison, 74 patients were admitted with flu during the same week at the start of 2020 before COVID had taken hold, it says here. Ah, there. However, the figures suggest, suggest flu has been annihilated are from a snapshot of just 25 National Health Service Trusts. Data for the other 100-plus hospitals are not included in the weekly surveillance reports. Ah, there you are, Danny. But that's a miracle, eh? It's a miracle. All the... It's not that they're counting flu as COVID. No, that would never happen. Eh? What's the symptoms of a flu? I, I've got a bit of a fever and maybe a bit of cough too and a stomach upset. And, ah, COVID. has to be COVID. What else could it be? And this article here too, it's actually from the Times. I think this one here. Is it? The Times, some taken from the Times, perhaps. But anyway, it's, it's the GCHQ Journal, that's the headquarters in Britain. Cyber war and anti-vaccine propaganda. This is one of the ones I mentioned before. Spies tackle disinformation linked to Russia. This, yeah. this is uh, Times Radio as well. And uh, it says, so the GCHQ... As we got an offensive cyber operation to disrupt anti-vaccine propaganda. Anti-vaccine propaganda being spread by hostile states, the Times understands. The spy agency is using a toolkit developed to tackle disinformation and recruitment material peddled by Islamic State. <laughs> Islamic State, according to sources. It's the latest move by cyber agents to counter activity linked to Moscow. Here's a, this Moscow. Moscow is just astonishing whose aim is to exploit the pandemic in order to undermine the West and boost Russian interests. The government regards tackling false information about inoculation as a rising priority as a prospect of a reliable vaccine against the coronavirus draws closer. This is before they put it out, right? A government source says the GCHQ has been told to take out anti-vaxxers online. This is the Times, eh? And on social media, there are ways they have used uh, there are ways they have used to monitor and disrupt terrorist propaganda. Okay, now don't forget these are the same groups they have used in other countries, eh? and uh, they give you the, the, the tactics below it, the tactics that they've used before to disrupt it all. So this is your own government. So 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 much for your freedom of choice, eh? and coming to your own conclusions. Eh? So there you are. And, oh yeah, Professor Michael Chizodowski from Global Research Canada says, the 2020 uh, worldwide crisis destroying civil society, injuring economic depression, global coup d'etat, and the Great Reset. It's a PDF, long one too, but it's got a lot of uh, articles or at least uh, links to different things that have been going on and so on. 
and how famines have happened already, according to the United Nations, in 25 developing countries, and so on and so on. This is total war on the planet, I hope you understand. It goes into, as well, the mRNA technology that has a bearing on the human genome, very important for... I don't guess I won't mention that when you give your informed consent, eh? And... Um, this is uh, where the standard animal lab tests using mice or ferrets conducted or did Pfizer go straight to human guinea pigs. Human tests began late July, early August. Three months is, un- is unheard of for testing a new vaccine. Several years is the normal. Yeah. But it's a good article. Very long, as I say. I can't read all this. It would take a long time to do, but you should read it for the, if, you're, if you're interested. It's good. Information is something you, know, you can peruse, folks, because you have to make decisions. I've, made, I've said this all along. The decision comes down. Don't look at the crowd, for goodness sake. It's your life. It's not theirs. It's yours. The crowd isn't going to cry for you if anything happens to you. And you'll have to deal with it if you survive it. You might be very ill. You know? Who knows? I'll put up that one too, the odd-looking uh, feminist professor who's getting all this publicity. I mean, I'm sure she, most people wouldn't give her the, a time of day, basically. But the feminist professor who practices the occult cause for human extinction to save the planet. I guess that's why she's getting the publicity. Uh, also, how the government can convince doubters again to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, this is, the, this is New Zealand, this one here too. And how uh, they use trusted leaders to try to convince the, the skeptics. Eh? And I feel you do so all well worse than health inequities. Oh, it's to make everything equal. And they go into the, the different groups that people that they'll look up to. And, you know, a movie star, things like movie stars and stuff like that. You know, important people, you know, not simple, ordinary folk that are your neighbors, for goodness sake, you know. Doubters. Now again, once again, what when doubter, why don't you tell the people what it says on the information pack that comes along with the packs, right? On side effects. And give them the, the also give them the facts to do with what happens after the fact the Fauci's already told you it won't stop you getting the the, the coronavirus, it won't stop you spreading it. It may, here's your little caveat, it may stop you getting severe symptoms off it. It may. And you don't know how long it will last in your body. You, know? uh, you will get side effects. You see, 80-odd percent will get side effects right away, like bumps in the arm or sore arms, or even arms that can't move, and stuff like that. Fauci himself said that, even though he touched the wrong arm after the shot. But, uh, at least in the little video clip. But um, why don't you tell the people all this stuff? And say, do you want to take it? And here's, here's possible side effects according to the company manufacturers themselves. Why don't you do Rather than persuasive psychological techniques that are meant for warfare purposes on the public, to bypass them coming to informed conclusions. Huh? How about that? If it's so good, you can give them the facts and tell them what the real facts are. And they won't be doubting you then, right? It's a perfectly safe thing in all the rest. I keep telling you all that stuff. And yada, yeah, yep. give them the, the, the proof and all the studies. Yeah. This one in Canada, how Premier Jason Kenney went from defending conscious rights to jailing pastors. 
And Alberta Premier Jason Kinney posted Facebook best wishes to Christians across Alberta. That was on February 17th. Around the world as they begin the penitential season of Lent on Ash Wednesday. The day before, Pastor James Coates had been locked up in an Alberta prison for exercising his charter freedoms of conscience, religion, association, expression, and peaceful assembly. Like most people, Pastor Coates and his Grace Life Church near Edmonton were very concerned about the COVID virus back in March 2020, when Neil Ferguson of Imperial College frightened the whole world with his widely inaccurate predictions. Government's blender accepted Professor Ferguson's fear-mongering about COVID being an unusually deadly killer that we should all be very afraid of. Stats Canada data to mid-October 2020 tells us that while overall death rates in Canada increased in the first three quarters of 2020, death rates have also been increasing over time as our population ages. Increases in death rates for people over 85 in 2020 are largely comparable to those that have occurred in the last three to four years. That's from Stats Canada. We know that COVID threatens primarily seniors in long-term care homes who are already dying of cancer, emphysema, heart disease. And other. By the way, if you're getting treated for cancer, you have no immune system left pretty well because of the, if you're getting the chemical therapy and radiation therapy. And heart disease, other serious illnesses, death rates amongst men and women in the 65 to 84 age group are lower or comparable to previous years. Not what you would expect from an unusually deadly killer, is it? And it, says it, it poses no significant threat to children, youth, young adults, and about 90% of the population who have a greater chance of dying in a car accident than dying of COVID. Remarkably, death rates in Canada for those aged 44 and under increased significantly in 2020, especially among men. COVID is not a factor here, so what is leading to these deaths? Hmm, yeah, it's interesting. Like so many other people in Alberta and the world, Pastor Coates understands that the violation of human rights and human dignity by lockdown measures is not based on science. And it's true. So that they held church services. Again, Christian churches are easy. Okay, they won't fight back, you see. And that they don't have any elevated uh, special status. So the police won't you know, go in there and, uh, and, and play havoc with them, you know. Mm. It says, it says, so charter freedoms, the charters of rights, are violated by Alberta's chief medical officer, Dina Hinshaw, with the full approval of Premier Kinney. So now Pastor Coates is in jail and not allowed to see any family or other visitors for the first 14 days of his imprisonment. He's effectively in solitary confinement. There you go. You understand, you, 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 this is also part of uh, the fear uh, that uh, has been mentioned Interestingly, from China, you know, even when Matsi Tung was the head there, the chairman, Chairman Mao, and he talked about the, the, the greatest fear he had it was a big idea. And when you really dig into what he's talking about, he, he was talking about religion. Because uh, people will, will fight hell and earth because of religious reasons and beliefs as opposed to just basing. You'll never win this by arguing uh, scientific and practical facts. It's their playing field. That's why they gave it to you this way. That's why they don't want religion brought into this, because religion has, gives you the rights from God, and that gives you an awful lot of power. And they know that. Whether they believe in it or not makes no difference. They know that. If you believe it, that's enough. And when you get a lot of people unified in a religion, turning against them, then you are a terrible enemy of them. 
and they know that. That's why Christianity is heavily under attack. It's the easiest target of all. They will not generally attack the Muslim groups for different reasons, but the Muslims won't stand up for it. So they should be a beacon for a lot of people because they, have, they, have, they stand by their rights. And the rights don't come from governments. There's rights that don't come from governments. And a lot of organizations see, and even religions, see governments as potentially evil. They're off this world, as they call it. And because of that, and it's, look at history. History is a, a horror story when it comes to governments. There'll be more folk killed by their governments in history than fighting other nations. Yeah. And we should remember that, too. They don't want you to think about these things, but... Uh, yeah, when things repeat over and over and over from government agencies, even genocides, they should be very, very wary, especially when you've got elitists running the whole planet now for their big club, and they don't want as many people around anymore. They don't need you. They've said it. They said at the beginning of the 20th century, those, the Superman of George Bernard Shaw and his Fabian society, you know, was the one who would adapt the whole thing into technical systems that were coming up and coming and the old system, the old man was obsolete. He said that then, in the beginning. Man and Superman. Eh? And they haven't changed their tune. They don't need off you anymore. They've got robots to do so much of their own work for them now. And you are obsolete. You're consuming their resources, you know. And it's too many of you make their planet untidy for them as they want to, you know, fly over areas in their private jets and look down and see you know, wilderness and open spaces and animals. Not you. I'm, I'm, I really mean, they're quite open about the fact they hate you. <laughs> they really hate you. And they believe they've got nothing in common with you. Like Bertrand Russell said, he said eventually the elites, because of their special breeding, is they, is they select their mates. Right? They really select them very carefully, or have them done for them, by the way. And inherit the wealth of the previous generations. And... Um, he said, he says, and they, they know what's really going on because they are the wild man of Charles Galton Darwin. They're not encumbered by morality or indoctrinations and petty, you know, conformities. They can do what they want, and they do do what they want. So you see, you, you, you're obsolete, and they, it's their world, and they've decided that you, they don't need you around anymore. In fact, they're afraid of too many of you. They've always been afraid of you. That's why they've had so much spy works, spy agencies out for centuries, actually, especially in Britain, since Elizabeth I especially, you know, with Walsingham doing all the spy work for her internally. Because they're terrified of the ordinary people. And too many of you makes them even more scared. So it takes a lot of propaganda to keep you in your place, you know. This article here is from Gilad Datsman, who's a musician. He's Israeli by birth. I think he lives in Britain now, where he did for a while, or Europe anyway. And um, he says, hot off the press, Pfizer CEO Albert Buria admits that Israel is the world's lab. Israelis are confused by the, the fact that the government treats them like laboratory pets if they wonder why their freedom to travel, to socialize, or even earn a living have evaporated. Pfizer CEO Albert Buria produced a genuine answer yesterday in an interview on NBC. Buria said, or Burla said, 
That's Burla, I guess, the name of yeah, Albert Burla. He said, I believe Israel has become the world's lab right now because they're using only our vaccine at this stage. See, they're not mixing vaccines. Eh? And they've, they've vaccinated a very high, a big part of their population so we can study both the econ- economy and health indices. And it says here that uh, no issue with medical experiments involving humans if the participants are fully aware of all possible circumstances and considerations involved in their consent. This didn't happen in Israel. By means of green passports, the government practically threatens to penalize anyone reluctant to participate in a lab experiment for a giant pharmaceutical company with a very problematic record. It gives you a link to the problematic record that's been recorded for over the years, by the way. Yeah. The result of this Pfizer-Israeli experiment aren't necessarily encouraging, though it may be possible, as some studies suggest, that most vaccinated people have at least, short, at least short-term protection. It may, you see, it suggests it might, eh? from COVID-19. No one can deny the astonishing fact in just eight weeks of mass vaccinations, the total number of COVID-19 deaths in the Jewish state almost doubled from the number accumulated in the prior 10 months where they didn't have the vaccine. It's doubled since they've got, they've got the vaccines. Since Israel morphed into a nation of guinea pigs, a virus that used to um, prey on the elderly and those with severe health issues has now changed its nature completely. After just two months of a, what they call successful mass vaccination campaign, 76% of new COVID-19 cases are under 39. Didn't have that before, right? This is only 5.5% are over 60. 40% of critical patients are under 60. So they're what young folk, right, are, are getting COVID after the vaccinations. According to this article here, the country has also detected a sharp rise in COVID-19 cases amongst pregnant women with more, more than a few in critical condition. In the last few weeks, newborn COVID-19 cases saw a large 1,300% spike from 400 cases in our two-year-olds in November 20 to 5,800 in February 2021. The evidence collected in Israel points at a close correlation between mass vaccination cases and deaths. This correlation points to the possibility that it is the vaccinated who actually spread the virus. Or even a range of mutants that are responsible for the radical shift in symptoms above. Remember what they said too, that the, I think Fauci said that Bill Gates that the people will become like breeders, like reactors. So here you have it, you know. And, but yeah, look at, the, look at the amount of folk who've got the darn thing after they got the vaccination. And the young people, they didn't, the young folk weren't getting it before, after vaccination. And this is the, the links to the, what I'm saying here are all here, by the way, from the Israeli papers. And it says the evidence collected in Israel points at close correlation with mass vaccination cases and deaths, right? And it says, um, so Burla admitted after this, right, asked by the NBC whether one could infect others after receiving two doses of the vaccine, Burla admitted, it is something that needs to be confirmed and the real world data that we are getting from Israel and other studies will help us understand this better. <laughs> we'll already know it from previous country studies. If CEO Burla isn't sure whether his vaccine prevents the spreading of the disease, why is he selling it around the world? If he isn't sure, isn't that true? Yeah. 
Why should any government allow this substance being used until all necessary precautions have been taken? Furthermore, in the light of the emerging concern that vaccinated can spread the disease with CEO Burla, he doesn't deny it, right? What is the meaning of the green passport? I guess that such a document could easily be replaced by a gullible certificate awarded to those who are foolish enough to turn themselves in. But Burla doesn't have to wait much longer for the results from his lab. I can provide him with the most relevant numbers, assuming that either he or anyone else in Pfizer can read basic graphs. Every country that fell into the mass vaccination trap has seen a similar unprecedented spike in cases and death. The following collection graphs point at the undeniable correlation between mass vaccination and an exponential surge in COVID-19 cases and deaths. The spike in cases often detected just two to three days after the launch of the mass vaccination campaign. And he puts it up there for you, the graphs and so on, and explains them. Another one, two other articles says, Don't you dare enjoy the sunshine. Yesterday, the R rate was as low as it's ever been. Infections, hospitalizations, and deaths were continuing to drop. This is Mail Online, eh? Talk about Britain. This is Jonathan Van Tam. That's the person who's in charge of the health there. Urge Britons not to relax as the UK heads into a glorious weekend with the first warm weather for months. Warning that this is not a battle that we have won yet. So oh, I can't be bored with this propaganda, these spiels. Again, Klaus Schwab said this is a war. This is the terminology they're using. It's war terminology. He said that early on with this campaign. It's a campaign. It's a war campaign, isn't it? On society to change it all. And they know where they want to take it to. And the States, by the way, everything's getting privatized over the years and even if a few things that really work well that government runs, like the postal service now is is going to get is going to be made purposely slower, right? So the postmaster general previews slower mail and improved employee benefits. It says supports new postal reform bill. They know they're eventually going to privatize it completely. You know that. Right? Then it'll really get even more expensive than it is now. Right? And it's one of the few going concerns that they really have that brings in a big profit, but they siphon off the profits and put them in other government departments. That's, I remember reading that a few years back, that's what was happening. This other article, too, is to do with, um, uh, it says, 20 years ago when I was pregnant with the first child, transforming a total health nut, mentions what happened and I watched consumption of caffeine, spam and sushi and all the rest of it. And started taking care of herself. Since it's now imagine if our culture encouraged women of childbearing age to be as vigilant about the effects of big pharma's experimental drugs on themselves and their unborn babies as, as they are about our diets. We know all about gluten and carbs, trans fats, and omega-3 fatty acids, mercury and fish, and heavy metals in baby food. But do you know what's in the COVID-19 vaccines? And uh, it's got the link from the cdc.gov. <laughs> And uh, they go through some of the different components and different vaccines. Eh? Since that next estimated 100 million Americans are expected to inject into their bodies by the spring. But it's okay, you see, if the rest of them are doing it, if the crowd's doing it, you know, that's the whole motivation for doing it. In December, I flagged uh, concerns raised by Dr. Michael Yaden, former Vice President and Chief Science Officer at Pfizer Global, regarding two additives in the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, polyethylene glycol and M-neon green. 
Eden and his colleagues warned of potential fertility-specific risks involving antibodies against spike proteins that could disrupt the development of placenta in vaccinated women. It's unclear, they warned, what if any instructions, information uh, that clinical trial subjects received regarding those risks. Bear in mind that none of the clinical trials conducted by vaccine makers to win emergency use authorization from the federal government includes pregnant women. It says that that's been historically true of drug trials because Dr. Simon Gold, America's frontline doctors, explained to me in an interview last week that the cascade of events has to go, that has to go on, uh, on the human body to get pregnant and maintain a pregnancy is incredibly complicated and we don't know all the details of what we're, we don't know. <laughs> Gold called it shocking that medical professionals and pregnant women or women of, of childbearing age would be advocating taking anything experimental. And it gives you the interview to that too, the link to the interview. Mm-mm-mm. And it goes on too about the experimental mRNA vaccine and the, po- and the possible autoimmune rejection of the placenta, which has happened with other vaccines before sometimes. And... Uh, it goes on about the very little data available to, to assess vaccine safety in pregnancy and so on. And it mentions VAERS as well as the um, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System data human COVID-19 vaccine, vaccine recipients have disclosed multiple cases of apparently healthy late-term fetuses lost days after vaccinations. That's from the, that's from the Federal Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System data. <laughs> so Bernson adds, healthy pregnant women are at next to no risk from COVID. So why on earth would anyone try to shame them into getting the vaccine? Hmm? And then the policies for keep my head off the variants of this this uh, deadly disease. Eh? Oh, yeah. It says, staying ahead of the variants, policy recommendations to identify and manage current and future variants of concern. Uh, and so on. Um, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Safety. Yeah, there you go. The ones behind all these different tests and exercises I've done in the past. Eh? But they're already getting ready for all the different strains, etc. You know that. I won't even bother reading it. But uh, the vaccine industry is looking at more, raking in billions forever, forever and ever and ever. Amen. With all kinds of new things and stuff, you know. I meant to mention too, Israel also has the article about them actually handing out these uh, electronic uh, armlets and bracelets to, to people coming into Israel from certain countries now so they can get monitored as they lock themselves down for a couple of weeks by the authorities. <laughs> it's just astonishing. I mentioned that last year and I says, well, they actually use them. Well, here they're actually using them now. Also, the U.S. is back on and with the program of bombing Syria and uh, targeting Iranian-backed militia, it says here. That's a good excuse, Iranian-backed militia. You have to take their word for it. But they're on the list, remember. Syria was on the list to be taken out eight years ago by the PNAC group. And they won't stop. They'll always get back on board with the program. And there you go. Also, Silicon Valley and the World Economic Forum-backed foundation announced Global Initiative for COVID-19 Vaccine Records. It's all been locked. Your whole records now, it's not just vaccine. They want to all now put on a file for your passport, not just health, vaccine passport, but total health passport. And they're all already sharing all your data, right? I'll put that up too. I remember a few years ago reading an article with Google in Britain was already given permission to experiment with folks' data. 
All this is happening today was, was practiced in different experiments over the years, you know, little beta tests. So there you go. And I mentioned too uh, that um, what is the truth about COVID deaths? Grieving relatives along with members of parliament and top medics demand inquiry to his families reveal more loved ones they believe were wrongly certified as virus victims. And medical experts have demanded inquiry into a number of fatalities that have been blamed on COVID-19. And so more than 100 Daily Mail readers wrote letters after Belle Mooney revealed her father's death recorded as COVID. And uh, one funeral director said it was a national scandal what they're telling about COVID. He says, the claims are part of a Daily Mail investigation that raises serious questions over the, the spiraling death toll. More than 100 readers wrote heartbreaking letters following a moving article about Belle Mooney last Saturday. She revealed the death of her 19-year-old father, who suffered from dementia and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, was recorded as coronavirus. And uh, Leila Morin, the Liberal Democrat MP who chairs the all-party parliamentary group on coronavirus, said the government should call a public inquiry into the handling of the pandemic immediately with an interim investigation into all COVID deaths that should report as soon as possible. So the people are getting really ticked off because they know what their, their relatives were dying off. And, and you know, uh, well, what can you say? This, the, you, I'm not surprised with the cons. They've used so many cons because they must get the numbers up. And um, since medical experts have cited pressure on doctors to include COVID-19 as a cause of death because it was last year ruled a notifiable disease, meaning any case needs to be reported officially. Now, don't, don't forget, too, most cases now are not, are not cases at all. They don't even have tests. They need to put them down as well. They could have had it. It may have been symptoms of it. You know. Again, there's no flu now, eh? <laughs> so that this, uh, people are getting ticked off with all this, this chronology that's going on, eh? And, and the thing is, too, uh, they're saying some of them here, they give you examples that some of the people here had COPD, the chronic uh, obstructive pulmonary disease, eh? lung condition that causes severe breathing difficulties. The second is that this woman they're talking about was a resident at Aldergrove Manor Care Home in Wolverhampton. And the third, at the time of that Jesse 83 was a resident at Aldergrove, at least there were no confirmed cases of COVID, but they put them down as COVID anyway. So it goes on and on and on. I'll tell you another thing I've noticed too. Occasionally you'll see some startling stories where, where as soon as someone dies, you know, close to the shot, the vaccination, but it's got nothing to do with it, right? I mean, we all know that, right? And it's and it's safe to say that it's got nothing to do with it. It's, it's better to say that. But um, you'll see it in the newspapers uh, that, that, that the close relatives immediately, or at least one of them might just say, but they're still encouraging you to get your shot after their relative just died, you know? And, and I wonder... And I wouldn't put it past them, a multi-billion dollar enterprise here. Are they actually paying people to say that? Big bucks? Huh? Are they? And and not to speak out against, perhaps, any clues that, that any uh, associated circumstances that may have caused the problem or, you know. Just speculation, of course, and there you are. And um, and this one again, going back to one of the stories at the beginning. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. 
the zero COVID document. Huh? I meant Irish, Irish news. Eh? And the revelation comes from a trove of hundreds of emails, draft documents, and Isaac internal, the, the, the Irish special um, advisory group for the government, internal communications that were recently leaked to GRIPT. So the members were instructed to review and, and, and internalize instructions to look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty in the people, and to go after people and not institutions. People speaking, go after people because people hurt faster than institutions. There's your democracies in actions, folks. The instructions were shared to the group by Professor Anthony Staines, one of the founders of ISAG, the group, right? In a note titled Notes from 2020-28 ISAG Meeting, the note's title contains a typo which was actually posted on the 8th of February 2021. The note reminded Isaac members of the importance of ridicule as man's most powerful weapon and that the threat of a thing is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. So ridicule the people who are speaking out, you see. Shame them and ridicule them. That's what they're on about here. And... Um, it says the, 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 these guys who, who are part of this group, by the way, they're regular guests on the Irish media and probably on TV too, were told they could count on imagination to dream up many more consequences. Your imagination, right, you can dream up many more consequences than they themselves, uh, as the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. There you go. Same as the one in Britain that they handed out to the, the British uh, newspaper journalists and so on. Or at least news journalists, as she's come. Most of them don't have papers anymore, I think. But journalists, uh, same kind of thing. Yeah? Same stuff from the same group, really, because the, the Irish branch is, it works with the, the main branch in, in London, England. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. There you go. Send a few bucks my way, please, and keep me going. Take care of yourselves in the meantime and get your little groups together to help each other as you go through. They'll get worse before they get any better. They don't give up, but they get more vicious, I think, as time goes on. There's a lot riding on this. It isn't just vaccine industry or money. It's a whole new way of bringing a new structured system in, which you wouldn't like if you were asked about it. So you're not being asked. You're made to conform. Send a few bucks my way, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And look into it, you'll see how to send me a few dollars. Take care of yourselves, and from myself, from myself, from Alan Watt, and to your Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods, go with you. 